Giants, what I'm about. And what I'm about is an old school physical mentality. Okay? We're going to put a product on the field that the people of this city and region will be proud of. Because this team will represent this area. We'll play fast, we'll play downhill, we'll play aggressive. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes, we'll play every play like it has a history and a life of its own with a relentless competitive attitude. Hello, everybody. Good evening. Welcome to Big Blue Avenue. What a way to start off 2021. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta. Join alongside Hank and Dichter here in the studio. Hank, hello. Thank you very much for joining me and really excited to recap a Giants win here tonight to uh, end the 2020 season. It's very bittersweet, but I'm pretty excited as well. And Tom, as always, thank you for having me. We're going to have a good one. And I'm excited because this one will come full circle. We got our very own reviewing previews, James and Kyle. Looking forward to this. This should be a very fun discussion. But I don't know about you. I'm ready to look look. I'm ready to recap this game. A hundred percent. I'm ready to recap it as well. Just a reminder, Kyle and James will be joining us at 740 from Review and Preview, our Tuesday show here on Review and Preview Sports. Remember to, as you can see on the ticker below. Like, subscribe, give us a thumbs up if you like what you hear on the Anchor, on our YouTube channel. Give us a subscribe, Facebook, Instagram, you know what to do. Smash the like button and subscribe. And there it is, our YouTube channel. We'll leave it up there for a moment. And uh, James says he's ready to go. Definitely looking forward to having you on, James. James, I love the spirit, man. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Andy Hopper is saying hello. What's up, fellas? Andy, hello. Uh, Andy from... Andy from Champaign, Illinois, and then your mother checking in as well. Hello, Jamie. Thank you very much for watching. I love it. I'm really hyped up. We got a lot of support. Let's go. So, Hank, without further ado, I'm going to give you the first half of this game. Giants improve 2-6-10 and 10 on the year, beating the Cowboys for the first time in four seasons it was a back and forth game the Giants had control throughout the first half then things started to change in the second half but I'll let you talk about how we got to where we got so the Giants on their opening drive pretty much went flying out of the gate they would go 78 yards on six plays and they would get off and Wayne Gallman in particular got off to a good start he had a few few small runs and then you would have a Daniel Jones pass to Caden Smith for 16 yards this would set up what would eventually be the first touchdown as Sterling Shepard would run an end around for 23 yards. Surprisingly, Gano would miss the extra point. And I'll give you an interesting fact. Gano has missed more extra points than field goals this year, if you can believe that. Only a second, but wouldn't really hurt too much. And uh, Tom, I don't know about you. I'd like to take a look at this. This is like probably the longest end around run the Giants have had since Gerald Jern- Jernigan like seven years ago, believe it or not. Sure. Yeah, no, let's take a look at it. I thought this was a great play by the Giants, setting the tone early on in this game as Sterling Shepard scoring the 23-yard 
touchdown on a little end around a play that the Dallas Cowboys used to like to run on their Jason Garrett. So you can see a really good job by the offensive line setting up this hole as Sterling gets the first down. Gates, good job helping push him into the end zone. Here's a closer look at it. Watch Caden Smith. He pivots. He fakes as he's going one way. The offensive line does their job. Fleming with a little bump there. Shepard and Ingram taking care of their men. Caden Smith sealing the def uh, the defensive back. Here's one more look. Zeitler does a nice job pulling, and I think that's what fooled the defense. Shepard with tons of space to run. There it is one more time in full speed. Sterling with a lot of speed, getting the Giants on the board. 6-0, great effort by all 11 guys on that play. Yeah, that was a great play. Very exciting. And for a team that pretty much was playing for their season, yeah, you love to see a play like that right at the beginning of the game. And on the Cowboys opening drive, despite an interception by Xavier McKinney, that would be negated by holding penalty on Darnay Holmes, the Giants' defense did very well. They stopped the Cowboys. Dexter Lawrence tackled Tony Pollard for a two-yard loss, and Blake Martinez had a big sack on Andy Dalton. This one for minus eight yards. It forced the Giants to or the Cowboys rather to punt. Giants, though, unfortunately, would not get the ball back for too long. Wayne Gallman would fumble on the exchange from Daniel Jones, putting the Cowboys pretty close to the red zone. And the Cowboys would get to the Giants 14-yard line before a big Leonard Williams sack on third and eight would force Dallas to settle for a 38-yard field goal by Greg Zerline. And I'll tell you what, this was the first big play by Leonard Williams today, but as we know, it would not be the last. And the next three possessions between the Giants and the Cowboys, they all would result in punts before the Giants got the ball back. Alfred Morris would start the next drive with a five-yard run, but 15 yards would be added to this because Randy Gregory took an ill-advised unnecessary off the penalty. I don't remember what happened. What was he pushing the guy or like chopping the guy? Like, he probably should have been kicked out of the game on that penalty, but that is besides the point. The Giants really took advantage of those ex extra 15 yards tacked on. Daniel Jones would throw a beautiful 21-yard pass throwing Shepard, and this drive would be capped by his second touchdown of the day. This one was a 10-yard reception. Put the Giants up by 10, 13-3. And, Tom, I know you want to take a look at this pat touchdown pass as well, do you not? Oh, obviously I do, and it was set up by that 21-yard pass to him that got the Giants in the red zone, uh, you know, as you mentioned, Hank, and we'll uh, we'll take a look at this one here. Um, really nice job by the offensive line. First, we're going to look at the offensive line. Puts a wall up front, and Shepard pivots. Look, if you watch the formation on this play, Sterling Shepard is the only wide receiver on the field for the Giants. So this tells you run immediately. You see the three tight end set, right? The play fake to Goldman. Everyone's focused on Evan Ingram in the back of the end zone. You can see that the safety stays with Ingram. He's worried about him. You can see my cursor right there. There's my cursor on Shepard, and he fights his way into the end zone again. Here's one more time from Daniel Jones throwing a nice, accurate ball. See what he reads. He puts the ball in a position where Sterling Shepard and only Sterling Shepard can make that catch. Because throwing the ball somewhat in the flat there is definitely a risky thing to do. Hope yeah. I did a decent job analyzing that. <laughs> no, you did. And I want to point out, I also think Daniel Jones did a better job of reading that, of reading the defense there. Thank you, Andy. I appreciate that compliment. 
I would say that he did a better job reading the defense than he has for the most part of the season. I think that's a little bit improve, a bit of improvement. And I'll tell you what, that's something you like to see. It was a great play. And the Cowboys, of course, were not going to go down quietly. They would respond with a 10 play drive. They would get to the Giants 28 before the Giants defense ultimately did another good job stopping them. The Cowboys again would sell for a field goal. This one was a 46 yard Greg Zerline field goal. And the Giants would quickly come back though. 62 yard drive capped off by Dante Pettis. I mean, this guy, he made a big catch last week against the Ravens and nice to see him start to come up, up and make the big plays. I'm looking forward to see what he can do in the future. He had a 33 yard touchdown reception. This is the first of his NFL career. It extends the lead by two scores. And Tom, this must have, I have a feeling this made you feel pretty good as the half was coming to a close. Let's take a look at that touchdown catch, shall we? It's a must watch. I mean, let's just watch this play all fold in together right here. I believe this was the longest play from scrimmage for the Giants in this one. So let's definitely take a look. You can see Jones doing a nice job. Good route ran by Pettis. And he fumbles the ball here, which is never a good thing. But remember, Pettis is the only giant player that can recover that football. Now you look at Jones. Look at the offensive line in front of him doing a nice job. Pettis is his best one-on-one -on -one matchup down the field. I wish we had that a little slower. Now watch the line, in particular Andrew Thomas. You see Lemieux is pulling, 66, the guard, so that calls draw to Deion Lewis. And now Demarcus Lawrence is going up against Andrew. Thomas does a good job with his hand placement and his feet. Watch his hands go inside Demarcus Lawrence. This neutralizes him on the play. So he can't whip around him. That's actually Randy Gregory, excuse me, allows Jones time to throw the accurate ball. The defender is playing the ball and not the receiver. That is a classic no-no football 101 move right there by the defensive back. Granted, Dallas's defense has been shredded all year long, so I'm not shocked that, that play happened. But, hey, it's a great, great play made by Dante Pettis. Yeah, I know. And I also want to say that was a great throw by Daniel Jones, too. Listen, when you give this man enough time, he can make those big throws. And I hope to see more of those next year. And anyways, the Cowboys, again, they did not quite go down quietly. They got to the Giants 38 at the end of the half before, again, they settled for a field goal. This one was 57 yards. Team set it back to the locker room. It Break was the leg. It was 29 Giants, and I will say the one thing that – that the one big thing for the Cowboys, Andy Dalton hit up um, hit up Schultz multiple times on this drive for 20 total yards, and what do you expect? He's a tight end. You've seen the Giants guard that position many times. We know how it ends, always. I got to tell you, it was definitely a good first half until the end. I was kind of expecting Zerline to make that kick all along, if I'm being honest with you. Uh, they really he needed those points. He's right. been mine for a while. Yeah, he has. And um, Tom, let me, I just want to say at the end of the first half, I was feeling pretty good, but of course there's a reason I was not getting too confident. Anytime it's smooth sailing in the first half, you know the Giants will find a way to make things interesting. This game yeah. wasn't any different. No, but it wasn't. And I just want to like add that Dallas did a great job getting the field goal on that play to cut the lead to 11 and kind of trying to claw their way to get some momentum as we dive into the second half where 
Dallas knew it was important to get points on the board before halftime because they'd be starting out with the football in the second half. So they did. And um, unfortunately, the Giants forced a three and out for their sake. And the Giants, they get the ball back and pretty much, I believe it was the first play of that drive, actually. Jones throws a bullet in there to Evan Ingram, does an excellent job uh, throwing the football, but Ingram is unable to catch on. Uh, might need some masking tape for his hands or some crazy glue or something because that man has butter fingers, uh, no pun intended, maybe, actually. Um, Ingram, pops the ball. Ingram pops the ball up into the air, lands into Dallas safety Donovan Wilson's hands for the interception, the second turnover of the game for the Giants. In fact, they lost the turnover battle in this game 2-1 to one, and still found a way to win, but Dallas – this was the drive where you saw the momentum start to blatantly shift in front of your very own eyes. They would score a touchdown on this drive. They had the ball at their own 38, marched set, uh, 57 yards down the field, capped off by an Ezekiel Elliott one-yard touchdown run. And fun fact, not only did this make the score 20-16, to 16, but this was Zeke's first rushing touchdown in the last 10 games. He had a nine-game drought without a rushing touchdown. How crazy is that, Hank? It, you know, heading into this year, he was a top four to five running back in the league. Yeah, he's really been – his numbers have really been plummeting this year, and he's definitely slipped. It, it's really surprising to see him drop off like that. But I guess, in the, as Michael Kay often says during Yankee games, I guess Dallas fans must have believed in due because he was due to score eventually. Yeah. And there was another controversial – play too later was I remember Mike McCarthy kicked the extra point and a lot of Cowboys fans didn't like that decision I think they wanted him to go for two what what are your thoughts on that Tom um I think I know where you're going to go with this too by the way you have to kick the extra point there because you don't want to chase points on at least until the fourth quarter where you're down by multiple possessions because what happens is if you chase points and miss you're chasing points now for the rest of the game you always you always kick the extra point. Even if the score is funny, do not go for two until late in the game. That's my opinion. I know everyone has theirs, but I'm very conservative when it comes to play calling, especially early on in the game. You don't want to lose the game. You want to win the game in the fourth quarter. That's when a lot of football games are won. Um, yeah, so I was going to say, I would – I'm generally not against the idea of going for two, but I think maybe at that point it was in the early in the third quarter. I didn't really think that was necessary, so I'm going to agree with you there. Andy says, Coach clap Jason Garrett. Well, he wasn't clapping much this year. There wasn't much to clap for for the 31st-ranked offense in the NFL. I guess switching uniforms must have made a difference. And I just wanted to get – I love all the L's there, James. Excellent, excellent. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I may have been slow, but I just noticed that right now. Or if you're severe – yeah, I can. That would make sense. Hey, what's up, John? Good now. Hope you're enjoying your third. Yeah, no, day. I um, I like again. Like I said, I'm not into- entirely against the idea of going for two. I just think a, you gotta execute it better, and b, it's early in the third quarter, not really necessary. Definitely not necessary for sure. Uh, but they did um, kick the extra point, and the Cowboys they get the ball back. Awfully quick after forcing a Giants punt, it's stalled on a Sterling Shepard illegal crackback penalty. In my opinion, that was not a penalty. That was Shepard. He, I, you could argue maybe he went a little low, but at the same time, they've been running that play all year, and it's the first time that's been called in a game. 
Um, although it is against America's team, so I'm not too shocked there. Um, Rough ball. It doesn't discriminate. No, 100%. But then Dallas gets the ball back down to the Giants' 10-yard line, and this was the one play of the game that I missed. I was coming back from the bathroom, and then I found out Fackrell sacked Dalton, and that was probably the most important play up to that point in this football game because Dallas, they were going for the lead. We were only up by four. They have the ball at our own 10, and Fackrell gets an eight-yard sack, forcing Dallas to kick a field goal. And we'll, let's just watch this play develop and unfold. This was really critical. Watch Fackrell with the bull rush. Now, granted, Dallas doesn't have their starting left tackle, Tyron Smith. He's out. He was out for the year with an injury. But Fackrell's first game back from IR and just look at a bull rush, the left tackle. You got two guys trying to block B.J. Hill, who also does a good job. And I'm not too sure what Dalton's looking at right there. I think he has to get rid of the ball quick. He has the underneath route, as you can see. There it is coming across. It looked like Gallup, but Fackrell got there. And, you know, I wouldn't be mad if we signed Fackrell to another one-year deal, possibly two years. I thought he was really good in the 12 games that he played this year, getting four sacks in those games. And Fackrell was really good in both games against Dallas this year. He had the touchdown in the first meeting back in week five that put us up. But now that we were only up by one, and if you're a Giants fan, 2019 is a very familiar score. Um, in the beginning of the fourth quarter, the Giants and Cowboys would exchange punts. So they were pretty much copying off of each other. The Giants got the ball back for a 48-yard drive. Here's my problem with Dallas in particular in this game, right? You have the ball on first down, and you have a man like Ezekiel Elliott. They were passing on first down way too much, way too much. Now, here's the problem. When you're facing the Giants defense, you're picking your poison because if you're running the ball on first down behind Dallas's banged-up offensive line, you're not going to get much. And if you throw on first down, Patrick Graham – Really did a nice job in coverage this year with this defense. You have Bradbury to worry about, Logan Ryan, Jabril Peppers. The list goes on. Last couple of weeks, we've seen Darnay Holmes and Xavier McKinney, the rookies, start to develop and uh, flourish, Hank. And it's it was really, really impressive. Passing on first down did not work for Dallas in this game, so the Giants would get the football back. Sterling Shepard had two great catches on this drive, 13 and 21 yards respectively following a controversial catch by Dante Pettis, one that was shown to be incomplete, but McCarthy refused to throw the challenge flag, put the Giants in field goal range as they reached the Dallas 32. Graham Gano kicks a 50-yard field goal, giving the Giants a 23-19 lead over the Cowgirls. And Gano, with that kick, he now holds the New York Giants franchise record with 30 straight made Field goals, Hank Gano was electric this year. I loved it. Oh, amazing. He has been, in the words of Lance Meadow, a weapon and a game changer. And, you know, I want to say, yeah, I wasn't sure at first whether that was a catch or not, but looking at the replay, that was totally incomplete. However, that being said, Mike McCarthy didn't challenge. You're lost. I and agree. Yeah, I like I like Andy's comment. I want to see Akeem Hicks like yeah, that would be I think he yeah, would really help if he does that against the Saints next week or this weekend rather. 
Folks, just a quick reminder, Kyle Russo and James Montefusco will be joining us at 7.40 p.m. Eastern time. You're not going to want to miss it. We're going to have a nice little keep them and dump them segment tonight at the end of our analysis. So that should be some uh, real great fun. So now Dallas, they wouldn't quit. They'd move the ball, 17-play drive, down to the Giants' seven. Leonard Williams had a huge sack on first and goal. Two plays later, third and goal. Leonard Williams comes up clutch again. The flex and Andy Dalton pass that lands into the outstringed arms of Xavier McKinney to seal the game, uh, or so we thought for a minute. But let's break down this Xavier McKinney interception because I love every part about this play from the defensive line to the linebackers to the secondary. All 11 men were pretty much spotless on this play. So here you see the rush, and the rush is the first problem. Dalton doesn't know what he's going to do, takes a hit from Leonard, throws a duck. Because at that point, that's really – I mean, he can throw it away there, but with the pressure in his face, watch Fackrell and Leonard with the stunt move. He panics and then just throws it up for grabs again. This play was set up by Leonard Williams. I loved it. Here's, here's a little more in-depth look. Blake follows the running back, doing a nice job. Nico Lelos, you can see Nico, 57 there on the left, actually push, pushes his man into Ezekiel Elliott. Dexter Lawrence has two guys on him, so that leaves Fackrell and Williams in a two-on-two scenario, and they win it. Look at this, just Andy Dalton, and he's a good quarterback, too. It's just con confusion all around. And Leonard, again, the technique is just insane. This is why we must re-sign Leonard Williams in the off season as a lot of giant fans want. So yes, and it's I safe think, to say he will earn that contract for sure. I think that was really the game clinching play, regardless of the heart attack that we were given a minute later with Wayne Gallman uh, fumbled on a 14 yard run. It looked like it was recovered until replay showed that Gallman fell onto the ball with his rear end. Can we call it the butt recovery, Hank? Might as well, considering the other New York team has a, has another play that's very infamous. And if you don't know what play I'm talking about, you either lived under a rock for the past eight years or you're watching the wrong podcast. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> At that point, the icing was on the cake. Giants milked the clock away. And yeah, it, it was great. The Giants beat Dallas for the first time in four years. Uh, I predicted a 23-20 to 20 final. I was only one point off, uh, which is crazy. I didn't think I'd be only one point off. But my prediction was Giants 23, Cowboys 20, Giants won 23-19. Uh, hey, the Giants went 4-2 and two in their own division this year. Granted, the division was atrocious, uh, not to mention 2-0 against Washington. And 5-3 and three down the stretch after starting 1-7. and seven. But this was a great second half of the year, as I predicted. Remember, start of the season, kind of both of us predicted the Giants would be above 500 in the second half of the season, and that's exactly what they were, although nobody expected for them to beat Seattle, and that we did. But, unfortunately, the exciting season came to an end with Washington's win over Philadelphia on Sunday night football. But, Hank, the bottom line, still a great ending to an up-and-down rebuilding year, and I think we could argue that the Giants, truthfully, are heading in the right direction. Yeah, I think... I kind of figured they were going to go off to a slow start because to put it in perspective, it's a young team yep. and we knew they were going to take some time to gel. And 
considering the the strength of schedule they had at the beginning. I don't want to use that necessarily as an excuse, but I think you kind of had an idea that it it was going to be tough right at the beginning. However, in the second half, I figured this would finally be the year where they would get a win against Philly and Dallas because, for one thing, after a long losing streak, eventually that's going to end. And second of all, so much losing, I kind of figured the Giants would eventually show progress. And you know what? This was the year, and I have to say, Joe Judge, I tip my cap. Great job. Yeah, he was really dealt a raw hand this year. He did a great job with what he was given. The limited offseason, pretty much Dave Gettleman said it in his press conference yesterday that uh, Robert Barnes came up to him and said, look, we're going to be virtual for a while. This pandemic is going to be bad. And Joe Judge said, hey, uh, I'm going to see you all in August. That was a wake-up call right there. What he had to deal with was insane. And, uh, folks, while we have a few minutes, Andy Hopper has a question. What's the next step for this team? Well, I think, and this is my opinion, we have to prioritize trying to keep both Leonard Williams and Dalvin Tomlinson. I think we're going to re-sign Leonard and potentially tag Dalvin. I don't think Dalvin is getting a full contract. I think Dalvin's either going to be let go and he's going to walk to another team, which is an ongoing trend with the Giants, or we're going to tag him. Now that leaves a bunch of different players that are still uh, one, one-year deal players, like Casey Kreider, our long snapper, Nate Ebner, our special teams ace. And knowing Joe Judge, they're probably going to re-sign both of those guys as well. Uh, another, other people have brought up Wayne Gallman, Hank. I don't know what your thoughts are on Wayne Gallman. I think that this week 17 game may have hurt his offseason stock just a little bit, but I thought he did a really nice job filling in for Saquon Barkley this season. Yeah, I think regardless of how this game went, I still think he was a solid starter, and I think he really got better over the course of the few weeks, and he had that streak of touchdowns, which now, granted, I know it might not seem impressive because of the short runs, but considering who we were without and who we lost, I think that was big, and I like the way he runs, too. He's a straight-up north-south runner. He doesn't really try to go backwards. Not that I'm, like, against the way the Saquon runs, but, like, sometimes when I've seen Saquon run, like, I'll see him go backwards and try to get too fancy, and yeah. I've, seen him, I've seen it be pretty detrimental to the Giants. So I would love to see a good barkley Goldman power back duo next year. I agree. And to elaborate on Andy's point a little further, that's just the first step. That's regaining – your strength defensively. I think what's going to happen is the Giants obviously came out and said they're going to prioritize the wide receiver position in the offseason. Now, will that be addressed in the draft or free agency? I'm not sure. But I think what the Giants need to do is they need to go out and get a cornerback two in free agency, and they're probably going to draft a wide receiver in round one. You're going to have guys on the board like Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, um, and then that other kid from LSU, Jamar Chase, he might be there. At cornerback, you have options. And Patrick Sertain, Caleb Farley out of Virginia Tech. These are just a couple of players to be named. Those two are cornerbacks. So I think wide receiver or cornerback is going to be the two biggest areas of need in the offseason. Actually, not edge rusher for me because if you think about it, our two top edge rushers both got hurt, Lorenzo Carter and O'Shane Ziminitz. I think they're going to re-sign Fackrell then if you can get a fourth piece in, great. But I'm totally content with letting Carter Coughlin and Cam Brown develop in year two and be, you know, 
mainstays in those positions. I don't necessarily think we have to go out there and pay an edge rusher. I think that's a little absurd. I think we have to re-sign Leonard Hank. What is your opinion on that? Yeah, I think getting an edge rusher would be nice, but if we can get Lorenzo Carter and O'Shea and Zimenez back and healthy next year, I think that would really help this defense going forward. But if there is one edge rusher that they see that could benefit them, by all means, I'm totally for it, provided the contract's within reason, of course. Yeah. And, yeah, we really, even without them, our ed, our defense, like when, when it comes to edge rush, it was pretty, it was generally pretty solid. Blake, Blake Martinez was huge. So was um, Leonard Williams, who definitely we all we already established that he has to be resigned, but we'll probably get into that more later. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say before we get more into Leonard Williams, folks, if you have any questions like Andy just did, feel free to drop them. We'd be happy to get back with you. And Kyle and James will be joining us in approximately 10 minutes to talk all things New York football giants. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, make sure to share the stream with your friends, family, like, subscribe. Uh, we love all that stuff. Now, I'm going to get into Leonard Williams, and he's our New York Giants player of the week. There's no other man that you could really argue, maybe Sterling Shepard. But other than him, uh, th- three sacks, seven tackles, and the big pass defended on that fourth down play. He was named Week 17 NFC Defensive Player of the Week. And you look at his stats on the season, 30 quarterback hits, 11 and a half sacks after having pretty much none last year. Where do you have half a sack? And then uh, he's the fifth best interior defensive lineman in the league against the run. 82.6 pro football focus grade. And Hank, it was a bumpy road to start for Leonard Williams in his journey with the Giants. Yeah, I remember when they traded for him. Like, it wasn't a popular trade at the time. They gave up, what, a third-round pick? Yeah. And what else? Third, fifth. Yes, third and fifth. I remember not a lot of people were too happy. People really thought they overpaid, and people were like, oh, why can't we wait until he's a free agent to sign him? Well, as it turns out, so far, I think the trade pretty much worked out. He's been probably as good, if not better, than we could have asked for this year. And I think if you re-sign Leonard Williams, I would say the Giants pretty much automatically win that trade. John's loving the hair. (laughs) I'm loving it. Yeah, it's pretty cool hair. <laughs> yeah, John, it's pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. Thanks for the comment, Mr. Goodnow. <laughs> Hope you're doing well. Um, yeah, so I think Leonard Williams is going to be a, a good part of this team. Making he You pay players who make plays, especially late in games. That's where you make your money, and that's what Leonard Williams did this year. He, you know, he deserved to uh, be a priority for the Giants last offseason because of the potential that he has and because of the <laughs> – the way, you know, the amount of pieces we gave up to get him. So now, you know, it's great to see him flourishing. So, And, you know, be- I'll tell you this, too. I think it just goes to show you, sometimes a change of scenery or a, train, a change of team can really help a player. Yeah, Going from a losing organization to the Jets and coming here, same stadium, albeit a different team with a much more winning tradition, that, that can make a difference. And I think having Patrick Graham definitely helped to make him better, too. A hundred percent. I mean, the five quarterback hits on Sunday were just insane. And it's the most sacks a Giants individual player has had since JPP six years ago. So it's been a while since a player has been that effective in the sack department. Uh, Not to mention this front seven had a real strong performance this year, getting or in the Dallas game, getting a combined total of six sacks and nine quarterback hits. 
Dexter Lawrence was great in this game against Dallas as well. Hank, an 82.8 pro football focus grade. The other three sacks outside of Leonard Williams, as we mentioned, were Fackrell, which we showed you that clip already, Blake Martinez, and Dalvin Tomlinson. This defense is also really good against the run. We held Ezekiel Elliott to 42 yards on the ground. Maybe that's why Dallas was throwing the football a lot on first down. Yeah, that might – I would not be surprised about that. Um, yeah, no, I definitely agree. It, it was really a strength of our defense. This year in the past couple of years, Giants defense was much improved this year. We had 40 sacks, which was our highest also since 2014. It's been a while since we've been able to do that. I thought Blake Martinez and Tate Crowder were both excellent additions this year, in particular Blake Martinez, because uh, we really needed a signal caller on that defense. I was not fully confident going into the season with um, the guys we had. Like I believe our two best interior linebackers heading into last offseason were Ryan Connolly, who's no longer on the team, and David Mayo, who pretty much lost his starting job to Tate Crowder. So I thought he was an excellent addition, and then nobody expected Tate Crowder to blossom. Uh, he was the last pick in this past year's draft, and now, uh, you know, he's pretty relevant going into 2021. Yeah, and, you know, I'll, I'll give you an interesting tidbit. I don't know if you saw. I think it was either Jordan Ronan or Dan, or Dan Dugan that tweeted this. He said that Blake Martinez felt that Tate Crowder was somebody who really complimented him well. He even said that Tate Crowder helped to make him better, so – I think when you factor that in, it really shows how much they've improved roster-wise. Just remember, Big Ed loves mayo. He's <laughs> talking about 90 Day Fiance. Yeah, I know. Uh, I, I know a few people that watch 90 Day Fiance. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're, on, we're on a sports show, John. Apologies. <laughs> I will say this, Big, Big Ed was the best part about that show. The Giants cut running back Devontae Freeman from injured reserve. Yes, they did, John. They cut Devontae Freeman, but they did re-sign David Sills, who got hurt. So that's a great move, and I think we kind of knew Freeman was going to go bye-bye, especially with Saquon coming back next year. The indication is that Gallman's going to be a priority in the offseason, and I think Alfred Morris is probably going to follow Freeman as getting cut. Um, at 32, 33 years old, whatever he is at this point. But to borrow your yeah, term, I'm not surprised um, Freeman's gone. To borrow the term you usually use for four and five Mets starters, he was a Band-Aid. Oh, 100% he was a Band-Aid. He was the guy that was signed to replace Saquon Barkley. He was supposed to get more work than Gallman and Morris. But uh, he came, he played for four weeks, and then week seven, the first Philadelphia game, he went down with an injury and we never saw him again. We never saw him again. So uh, thank you for your service, Devontae Freeman. Um, the secondary also had a very strong performance in this game. There were six passes defended in total. And now when I look at the secondary in this game, I think, wow. This was, I mean, a lot can argue that the Giants weren't great pass defense-wise in the second half. But if no Dallas wide receiver, not a single one, gets over 50 receiving yards, that tells you something about your team. Uh you have guys like City Lamb, who, by the way, torched us for 124 yards in the first matchup. You have Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup. And if we go over the stats, Hank, City Lamb, I believe, had the most. Cooper 
was Cooper had the most catches. He had six catches, and then Gallup was held to like four for 41, something like that. So it all starts with James Bradbury, who was another offseason acquisition prior to 2020. He led it, he led the team in pass deflections. He was tied second in the NFL in that category. He was named to the PFF All-Pro team, and he was a second-team All-Pro. I think it all starts with the legendary, infamous Bradbury Bunker, which we're going to trademark before next season. Yes, we have to. We and have then, to of course, that. we also have Xavier McKinney, who – Really, he got off to a slow start. He missed part of he missed like the first half of the season. Came back, I believe, after the bye week. Yeah, I think his first game was against the Bengals. He saw limited action, but over the course of the season, he definitely got better, made some progress. And as we saw at the end of the Cowboy game, he made the big interception. And I think that looks like he could he could end up being a very good pickup as the years go by. Absolutely. Uh we have a comment. Predictions for next year. Well, I can't really give you one yet, John, because we haven't had free agency. We haven't had the draft, but um, it's looking up. I think north of six and wins next year for sure. Um, I'm going to give one just as a guess for now, but obviously this is very much subject to change. So before the season, I said, I think I said about six or seven wins. Mm -hmm. And I was pretty, I was pretty accurate. And I think next year, I'm going to say nine. You know what? I'm going to be bold and say nine. I I think they'll probably have a good offseason. I have faith that they'll do the right thing. I can definitely see nine next year. But again, subject to change, my mind could very much be changed depending on what Dave Gettleman does in the offseason. I'm going to agree. I think looking at our 2021 schedule, not to get too far ahead, I think eight to nine wins is accurate. Uh, I'd go more towards eight right now, but we will see what happens. It's going to be very interesting. Um, but anyway, just going to go over, um, a couple more things before we bring up James and Kyle within the next three minutes. And, um, it's going to be our comment from John Suggs thoughts on keeping defensive coordinator, Patrick Graham. I think that is huge for stability. They went from 25th to 12th in defense uh, in total defense, 30, 30th in points allowed to ninth. Huge difference this year. Yeah, you know, I was going to bring this up later on in the show, but might as well bring it up now. Uh, you're right, John. They went from giving up 28 points a game to 22. That's a big difference. Uh, passing yards. Patrick Graham's defense gave up over 400 fewer passing yards than Betcher's defense did last year, not to mention eight fewer touchdown passes and forced one more interception. So right there, that tells you something. Not to mention five fewer rushing touchdowns. Uh, I may or may not have that on my script. But, uh, yeah, it, we have to give credit to Bobby Skinner for that from Talking Giants. Make sure to go yes. check him out. He's definitely a good uh, a good YouTube personality uh, to follow. But, yeah, what, what are your thoughts about Patrick Graham, Hank? Oh, I think he's been a godsend for this defense, without a doubt. And the fact that he wants to say – I think it really tells you something about the Giants culture too, because he could have left, he could have left somewhere for a head coaching job. Remember the Jets were rumored to be talking to him, but then that rumor was squashed a day later. I really think that says something, maybe not so much of Joe Judge. I just think the culture overall, and he, he's done a good job helping with that culture, getting the Giants back to what they've pretty much been known for. When you really think of the Giants, you think of defense. 
I just want to drop a comment from Mary Linda who commented um, on in one of the groups that we're in. Uh, yes, we will make sure to check you out. Thank you very much for joining the live stream. Really appreciate it. But uh, without further ado, let's bring on thing one and thing two. Uh, we, we love to bash heads, talk giants like we're Alvin and the Chipmunks sometimes from any hour at night. It's James Montefusco and it's Kyle Russo as well. Kyle, James, hello. Kyle, hope your uh, shoulder's doing good. And James, hello. Nice hat. Am I thing one or am I thing two? I don't know. You guys got uh, <laughs> to butt heads about that later. Yeah, we'll talk about that on the side so we don't uh, distract your show. Um, yeah, this hat is uh, since uh, the first Super Bowl, I can remember the Giants winning. So that's showing age right there. This one, This one's pretty old, too. I think I got this when I was, like, in middle school. Look at how worn it is. <laughs> you know, Kyle's hair is too pretty to put a giant's hat on top of it. So, oh, dude, it takes a while to grow all this out. Uh-huh. <laughs> hey, I, I still wear this cap all the time, even with my long lettuce. But let that mane go, Hank. Let that fellas, go. <laughs> we're ecstatic to have both of you. We're going to talk a lot of giants tonight over the next hour and 20 minutes. This is going to be a lot of fun. And uh, first and foremost, I think we need to. Um, say uh, congratulations on an improved season from last year. Uh, you know, we, we were in there till week 17, regardless of what the record said. And overall, an overall impressive win against Dallas, a game where Sterling Shepard had a career uh, career day with multiple career highs. Leonard Williams with three sacks and then Graham Gano making Giants history in week 17. Um, and th- this question goes out to you, Kyle. What do you attribute the Giants' late season success to this year? I think it's all Joe Judge. No, forget about the lateness of the season, but just the entirety of the season. I give it all the credit to Joe Judge. I don't know if another coach could have came in with this roster and what the Giants had and could have gotten the same type of production. Granted, there's also some credit to Patrick Graham as well on the defensive side of the ball and what he was able to accomplish. From But from Joe Judge's perspective, or at least from my perspective on Joe Judge, the way he disciplined his players, right? I'm I'm younger than you guys, obviously. So I don't remember the prime day and age of Tom Coughlin. But in my day and age of watching Tom Coughlin, even in 2011, he was a vocal leader. But you never saw that time where he would legitimately go onto the field and look like he'd go to fight somebody. That was Joe Judge. That was Joe Judge this season. And this was his first season. And granted, what was more impressive about that stature of his game um, combined with what he was able to bring to the table in his first year the man's 38, 39 years old. He's only maybe 10 years older than most of these players. And he has this type of presence to lead them to uh, into every single game. They have faith and trust in him that he will give them the best plan and strategy to win the game after 60 minutes. That's something that I haven't seen, at least as far as I'm concerned, over the course of the last eight-plus years. I haven't seen that. And so I think that's where I credit most of the success to is the leadership and job that Joe Judge has done in this first year. You look at the team top to bottom, it wasn't the most talented roster, but Joe Judge really had this team well coached, James. Is there anything you'd like to add to that and your overall impressions on year one from uh, our leader, Joe Judge? Kyle pretty much hit it right on uh, the head. Just because, like I was saying, we haven't seen somebody that's on those sidelines ready to fight the refs at any given point in time. We saw that with Tom Coughlin, which was great. I love seeing that. When we got Ben McAdoo, we saw a little bit of it, but nowhere close to what we've seen with Joe Judge or Pat Shermer. I don't think he even 
said a word to the refs other when he threw a challenge flag or a timeout, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, he definitely had little to work with in a sense in the beginning of the season, but he made this team grow. He made them work together, which honestly was needed because we saw with the offense, they brought in all new guys. The offensive line were like, how are they going to work together? Joe Judge saw that. He was able to work with pretty much every piece, every spe- the special teams, defense, offense, whatever team there is on the field, and work with all of them at, at a given time, which I think helped because they knew that if coach is behind it, we can stand behind it. Absolutely. That's an excellent point, James. And now we kind of dive into Daniel Jones, who's going to be the first uh, subject tonight. I'm disappointed Kyle didn't pull out his Danny Dimes jersey, but that's been a <laughs> <laughs> that that's Kyle's been rotating mul- multiple uh, giant spots this season, so I'll give him a break with that. But uh, Daniel Jones um, <laughs> improved significantly since the Tampa Bay game in Week Eight. We, we talked about him cutting his turnovers. He only had one interception since that Week Eight loss. Uh, granted, he did miss two of the games due to injury, but um, in this game against Dallas, he had one of his better performances of the year: two touchdown passes. He did have two turnovers that were technically charged to him, but Hank and I kind of agreed. We don't think he's at fault for either of them. Maybe the exchange more than the interception, if any. But uh, we're going to show you guys our classic. um, Let me get rid of that banner. The good, the bad, and the ugly of (laughs) 2020. As you can see, uh, just a tad under 3,000 yards and 14 starts, 11 touchdowns, 10 picks. Now, those numbers aren't very flashy. The interceptions are acceptable, but the touchdowns are not. He was sacked 45 times and had 11 fumbles. Majority of those came in the first half of the year. Uh, you see his stats against Dallas, 4-2 uh, and two record since week 8 against Tampa, which is pretty good. And his PFF grade tells us he's a middle-of-the-pack type of quarterback, but the issue is through two years, his record as a starter is not up to par. He's lost 18 starts in his first two years, despite going four and two in the division this year. And I think we can see through this graphic right here, Hank, and I kind of want to get to you here. I think we've really seen vast improvement since a Rocky start. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the eye test, we've seen it in the highlights that we showed. You give him a clean pocket, he can make the good throw, especially to a receiver who's open. The problem is, he is, um, what was I going to say? He hasn't put up a lot of the points. Like, that explains the low the low amount of uh, scores that's been in Giant games. That's the main question coming into next year. And if we see regression, that's when I think we're really going to start to have to think, is he or is he not the answer? But again, time will tell. Who knows? But Right now, I'm hoping that he'll be better. I I like that there have been less interceptions and turnovers. I think that's a really good sign of progress. Remember, that was what everyone was complaining about during the first half of the season. That's what everyone complained about in 2019, also. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I'd love. I'm looking forward to seeing what he could do. Should they give him another wide receiver or an or an offensive weapon of that sort? But yeah, for for the time being, I'm I'm okay with how he's been doing, fellas. Do you think he'll be able to put up more points in 2021 and prove that he is the answer? Uh, James, I want to start with you and get to Kyle. So I personally think if they limit the amount of times he gets sacked and the amount of times he figures out the fumble situation, it will only improve him. 
because realistically, 45 times being sacked is just a joke. Um, it doesn't make any sense for somebody to get hit sacked 45 times because you look at this, he gets sacked for 10 plus yards because he likes to back up and scramble. If he just stands there and sacks, and even if he didn't take a sack and he threw it away, those numbers would honestly look a little better. Um, I think getting some wide receiver help, um, either in trades or the draft, I think will only help him because they could get somewhat of a speeder wide receiver, not saying that Slayton isn't, but maybe to take some of the pressure off of him. Um, I'm not saying he's not our quarterback for the future. I think we have to give him one more year, at least a year or a half a year to improve on these numbers. And if we see pretty much the same numbers that we saw in this year's first half to next year's first half, then we have to decide, be like, listen, this is at least two years in a row we've seen these numbers. I, he may not be fit for this offense or the NFL. What about you, Kyle? Do you think his second half numbers does it make does that make you feel better or worse about him going into twenty twenty one? It, I mean, listen, I, I attested to this. It, it, it is an improvement that he was able to cut down the fumbles and the and turnovers in general because the man was averaging a turnover in, in more games ra- rather than averaging a touchdown, which was horrible. But when I look at this, the, the second half, we talk about the second half and how he's cut down turnovers, and yes, that could be upon his own individual improvement. But you look at the first half of the season, why the turnovers are so bad is because he played good defenses. He didn't play good defenses in the second half of the season with the exception of Baltimore. It just didn't happen. Dallas is one of the worst defenses of all time. Yes, that wasn't – those two turnovers, I agree, were not his fault. Maybe the Gallman one, but not the Evan Ingram one. Cincinnati, terrible defense. Uh, Seattle, we, we've spoken about it numerous times, do, does not have a good defense. Arizona, although we made them look like they had a great defense, uh, an all-time defense, was not that good of a defense. And Cleveland doesn't have a good defense either. So when you look at the first half in terms of Chicago, the Rams, uh, the Steelers, those are the cream of the crop type of defenses. And he was ultimately kind of what sunk them in each one of those games is his turnovers. Not only that, but being able, not being able to throw a touchdown. So when I see that, yes, it's great because these are still NFL teams, but at the same time, these are some of the lesser defenses in the league. So, again, while it's still an NFL team, it's not that impressive. You could only hope that he limits his turnovers against these teams because you know they're not good defenses going in. All right. Now let's ask about another elephant in the room with our, regards to the offense, and that would be the artist formerly known as Mr. Clapper himself, Jason Garrett. Now Daniel Jones obviously says he enjoys working with him. Do you guys think he deserves another chance as the Giants' offense quarter? Remember, the Giants finished 31st in scoring. James, you want to go first or you want me to go? Uh, sure, I'll go first. Um, do I think he deserves another year in the Giants' organization? Um, I say yes, only because you're working with a new quarterback you don't know. You're working with a new whole organization you don't know. Um, not like he doesn't know, but meaning in-house-wise. Um, I think he deserves another year only because Daniel Jones did go down hurt only for a few weeks. The offense was so new. They just started to gel. Tom, I think we even talked about it in Kai on our other show. I think it was like week nine, week ten, that offense started to finally come together, um, like the offensive line to start right. gelling. Um, I think if you get him a weapon, weapon, it's going to help. I think if you – 
figure out Evan Ingram's problem of not catching a ball correctly is definitely going to help. I say if we say, Hank, if you ask me and Kyle this question next season, at least my opinion, mm-hmm. say mid-next season, and if he if we're still 31st in the league, he gets fired. Yeah. Mid-season. If we're, oh, say, yeah. 25th to top low teens, mid-teens of the season, I say you ride him out. But if you ask me this question midpoint next season, it's either going to stand or it's not. Kyle. So, so my take on this, I know, you know, as Giants fans, we like to joke around a little bit and say, oh, maybe Jason Garrett's the problem with the OC. Jason Garrett's getting head coaching calls from the L.A. Chargers who just had a rookie quarterback break almost every single rookie quarterback record. You know, put up spectacular numbers along the likes of a team that has a fa- fabulous offense. So maybe maybe Jason Garrett isn't the one that's the problem with the offense. But to answer your question about Jason Garrett, I think they do need to draft a wide receiver. That's no doubt. Yes. The problem is this, is that where do you take him? Where 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 does the wide receiver fit? Do you spend that first-round pick on him? Because you got to remember, the Giants only have six picks this year. That's not a lot to work with. They do have limited cap space. I listened to you guys earlier. they got to figure out whether they're going to spend it on Leonard Williams or Dalvin Tomlinson. And that's going to potentially be both of them between the franchise tag and a long-term contract. Because Leonard Williams, he was he got tagged at what sixteen and a half. That man could go out there and ask for twenty plus million dollars, and you couldn't mm-hmm. you couldn't shake your head at it because of the performance he had. So when it comes to Jason Garrett, I think I'd give him another chance. I agree with James. This is first year with this offense, uh, a new offensive line, which I think is major. And I think another thing too, what we saw in Dallas, Jason Garrett flourished off of using. Ezekiel Elliott in that offense would have got a good offensive line. I think that might have been his plan come the season. And obviously, no, that got cut short because Saquon Barkley wasn't there. But we saw the production that even though it was, you know, it's not Saquon Barkley level, Wayne Gallman was no slouch. Had over 600 yards and six touchdowns. It was very impressive. He was. Hey. Yeah, I tend yeah. to I tend to agree with that. Like, don't get me wrong, I wasn't too crazy about some of his play calling. Like for instance, when there were moments where it was third and three, he tried to rely on Evan Ingram, which I didn't really think makes sense when you could have used Wayne Gallman. But with that having been said, yeah, I think if you listen to the press conference between John Mayer and Dave Gettleman, they mentioned something about continuity and wanted to keep things going for another year and try to keep progress. So at the end of the day, I think it kind of does make sense to bring Jason Garrett back, even if I'm not necessarily 100% all for it. Yeah, and I think too, like, you brought up the word continuity. I think keeping all the coordinators together or at least as many as you can for next year will really benefit you. The only name they really need to replace is Brett Bielema. I don't know if they're going to promote Jesse Armstead to that position, but there's guys that of course they're going to look at. Other than that, the entire coaching staff is staying put and we saw how well this coaching staff gelled together this year, especially mid season, second half of the season. This was a fun team to watch. I know we critique this team every week, but it is a fun team to watch. My opinion, it's a combination of Garrett, Jones, beginning of the first half of the season. It was the line, a little bit of a wide receivers with lack of separation. But I think you have to worry about Garrett more than saying that we need playmakers. Of course, we need a playmaking wide receiver. But I think Garrett's definitely um, one of my top um, concerns. By the way, I want to answer uh, John's question right here. What percent is it? Am I for uh, Garrett? I'm going to say maybe 75-80. Okay. I'm going to say 75-80. And speaking of that, we have a little uh, 
back and forth here. Um, but we have a question from John. Is Nate Solder coming back? If he does, I think he will improve Jones. Uh, John, I'm going to be brutally honest with you. Uh, I don't think Nate Solder is coming back. I think he's a goner. I, I, it all depends on what – because remember, he missed this year due to the pandemic, right? So he technically has two years left on his deal. I think he can opt out after two years. But uh, I don't know what the Giants are going to do with him. If we cut him, we do save money, but we're also going to take a cap hit. Um, Kyle, I know you follow the analytics too very closely on Nate Solder in particular. Uh, do you think he's coming back? I mean, the Giants have had many surprises before, so I would not be surprised. But the, one of the biggest reasons why I don't want to see Nate Solder back is because, one, you found your left tackle, so that would have the assumption that Nate Solder moves to right. And what does that mean? That means Matt Pert, another year goes by where he doesn't get the opportunity to play. Yeah. And as a third-round pick, we already got a second-rounder sitting on the bench for the second half of the season of Will Hernandez. I don't want to see another high draft pick ride the bench anymore. I, I don't want to see that. To, to, to ride out the last year of Nate Solder's contract. I, I, don't, I just don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. He wasn't good when he was playing, and I understand the personal reasons behind it, and that might have some severe implications on his play because he was with New England for such a long time and earned that contract. But at the same time, he was hurting this team more than he was ever helping this team in terms of his play on the field. Now, sticking with the offense, fellas, the wide receiver position. Sterling Shepard had a game on Sunday. He was excellent. The two touchdowns had eight catches for 113 yards. That was a season high and the most he's had in a game since week 16 against Indianapolis. In I, Hank, I want to say that was 2017 because we played the West. We, no, that was 2018. 2018. Andrew Luck's last home game, actually. Right. Because, yeah, trying to do the math, because we play we play the West this upcoming year and then the South the no, following. I remember year. it was 2018. Yeah. It was the second to last week of the season. We had a lead, and Andrew Luck let it come back in what turned out to be his last home game, which we didn't know at the time. But nevertheless, it was great in PFF world. And guys, he finished the season with a 75% catch rate. He was pretty good. Uh, PFF has him ranked as a top 25 receiver in the league. I mean, I don't think he is. I think he's more maybe top 35 to 40. I think he might slip in the cracks there this year. But um, this was his first career game with multiple touchdowns. Hank kind of basically blew my mind with these fun facts. So maybe I should hand this off to you, and you can kind of tell us how good Sterling Shepard really was in this game on Sunday. There's a lot of great catches he made, by the way. So I briefly mentioned this in the during the recap, but his 23-yard end around, that was the longest end around touchdown by a Giant for, guys, this might shock you. Jarrell Jernigan, week 17 against the art of the team that was formerly known as Redskins in 2013, week 17. He also was the 10th wide receiver to run for a touchdown in 2020. And matter of fact, he was only the second touchdown to score multiple – or, sorry – he was the second giant to score multiple touchdowns in a game this season. The other one was Wayne Gallman. That was against Philadelphia. And not to mention, he was also the first giant to have a rushing and receiving touchdown since, this probably won't surprise you, Saquon Barkley. I think that was also against Washington. I think that was the blowout in uh, Landover. Yeah, but I know we all like Sterling Shepard here. Um, Actually, no, I take that back. That wasn't the blowout in 2018. That was in the overtime shootout. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I kind of want to get your thoughts on Shepard, but I also want to get your thoughts on Dante Pettis because he had his first career touchdown in this game as well, the 33-yard catch. Um, 
if one of you could take uh, um, Pettis and Shepard, um, Kyle, you you can you, you can start with Shepard. I, I really think that this was in his fifth season. Quite frankly, this might have been the second best game of his career, to my recollection. I think Sterling Shepard has been one of the most underrated players in the entire NFL, and it's I think his career has somewhat, in a sense been held back due to the offenses that he's been a part of necessarily. I think that's that's his one stigma because you look at the you look at how he played when he was in Oklahoma sooner. The man was unbelievable. That's why he was a second round pick. He was fantastic. The Giants have just not been using him correctly for the last couple of years. They just don't they just don't properly execute him into the offense. They don't include him in the offense properly. Now when he's exploited as mainly the the one really threat type of receiver due to the fact that he has significant speed when you give him the ability to get some um, distance between him and uh, the nearest defender the guy can play the guy can play he's not he's not the biggest guy out there he's a slot receiver he's not your number one but the man can put up numbers if you give him the opportunity to problem is the Giants just haven't given him any much of any opportunity really (laughs) yeah James any anything you want to add on Shepard and uh, Dante Pettis no, Shepard is honestly he's going to be our number one slot guy going forward. Uh, we brought in Tate; he's a slot guy. I don't see Tate coming back. Um, to get on Pettis, I think we've seen a lot of these young guys like Mac come in for certain plays to to either boost the offense or just change it up a little bit. I think some of these. The, these guys that they're bringing in, coach wants to feel them out, see what see what they have, and also could probably use for some trade bait if they if he ever wants to. Uh, but Shepard, I think, probably should be a long haul giant at least at this point. I agree. He's one of my favorite players on the team. Uh, definitely top three to five player in my opinion. Um, the O line showed a lot of improvement this week as the Giants ran for 125 yards. Gallman. Only had 11 carries, 65 yards, but Goldman did struggle in this game. The the fumble that was charged to Jones on the exchange and then the butt fumble that he uh, plopped back on. Butt recovery, uh, you mean? Yeah, the butt recovery, yes. But I just didn't want to say – with another New York team. Yes, I agree. We're not, we're not, we're not going to talk about that. But the Wayne train fell off the tracks multiple times on Sunday. Uh, this was an offense that was averaging six yards a play. If anything, the offense looked great this football game. Uh, I know you're going up against Dallas, but I think it goes to show you can evaluate it in two different respects. You can evaluate it in the level of competition that the Giants are going up against, but you also need to evaluate it in execution because they're executing the plays that they need to fulfill. They stayed ahead of the sticks. Obviously, they didn't convert any third downs, but in the first half, they really didn't have any, if you think about it. Um, Andrew Thomas right, was a guy this year that pretty much had two different seasons clumped into one, if that makes sense. He came out as cold as ice, and then, you know, he he was pretty hot in the second half. 82.6 PFF pass blocking grade against Dallas and zero pressures in 31 pass blocking snaps. To give you an idea of his improvement, Hank, and guys, uh, his performance against his division rivals in Washington, the first game, he had a 56.2 second game, 66.4. And remember who he's going up against chase young and Montez sweat. That's an improvement. 
against Philadelphia, a team that has Brandon Graham, who he saw a lot of. He went from a 40 grade to a 64. And then Dallas, who he saw a lot of Randy Gregory and the Marcus Lawrence on Sunday, more Gregory than Lawrence. He went from 32 to 75 almost. Yeah, the first Cowboy game, he really struggled. I remember that. Yeah. Uh, do either of you have – was was he your favorite lineman this year or was it somebody else? Because I had one guy in particular I wanted to talk about. But I would, I, say, I, wanna, I would say it's a tie between him and Gates, honestly. Yeah, that see, that's the guy I wanted to talk about. He didn't give up a, a single sack the whole season, Kyle. Uh, I, I know you were actually the one that I got this information from about how I believe it was yesterday. They're saying Gates is our best O-lineman right now. Just talk about him. Yeah, he's been awesome. He's been the only giant all year to play every single snap. He's been healthy. That's great. And he's been able to build chemistry and mend both sides of the offensive line together. He's yeah. been the healthiest. He's been the best one. And it's crazy to even say that. I don't know if that's a, you know, a testament to his play or, you know, how bad the rest of the line is. But either way, it's it's great to see that a center position in which the Giants have struggled for for a while has mostly been a revolving door, especially last year. Saw a combination of, um, what do we see, Jalapio, Pulley, who else did we see in there at center uh, from time to time last year as well? Uh, it was those two. It was just those yeah, two? I think, was, I think it was just those two, yeah. But it's been good to see that potentially now you could say that at least they have a solid starter going forward on the offensive line. Yeah, we haven't had a good starting center in a while, James. You remember guys like Jim Cordell? Uh, David Boz, and even Brett Jones, who is probably our best. Um, it's potentially Sean O'Hara, which is alarming because we were in grade school when Sean O'Hara was our starting center. Um, yeah. Not not to get too cute there, but um, I got to <laughs> yeah. tell you, I, I got to yeah. tell you, this O line is, is in, in, improving. James, who is your favorite O lineman from 2020? So. I have to agree that it's Nick Gates and Andrew Thomas. I want to, I love Nick Gates because he's, we saw in that Dallas game, he was getting into pretty much every big circle there was, defending his teammates. Love to see it. He reminds me of Matt Martin a little bit on the Islanders for hockey, but mostly Andrew Thomas. And I'm going to tell you why. Because over the past few years, we've seen probably from Eric Flowers on down just a horrible to put it nicely left tackle uh, it's honestly the left tackle position in my eyes has been a revolving door and that's um that's a position that you need a lockdown left tackle we brought in nate Solder, figuring great he played with new england he played with brady he played with belichick he should be a lock well he wasn't his ratings i don't think was ever as high as andrew thomas right now and if they were I, i'm probably wrong Andrew Thomas is pretty, like Tom said, went ice cold to hot. He turns himself around. I think that's the help between Joe Judge, Jason Garrett, and the offensive coordinator. I think it's that everybody. He, they were willing to work with him. He's a very smart, bright kid um, that he's going to have a bright future within this league. Yes, he started out sluggish. I don't blame him. It's a new position. You're playing in New York. The left tackle position for many years has been – horrendous for us so obviously he ha- probably has that in the back of his head he's like i can't be as bad as eric flowers especially a first rounder that's when eric flowers won so he andrew thomas is probably 
best person I like on this offensive line, somebody that I'm looking forward to next season right. um, to keep that up high. And also he scored a touchdown this season. That he did. That. that he did. Actually, that was a two-point conversion. But, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Pretty, pretty close enough. Um, special teams was great for the most part. Graham Gano broke a record. Most consecutive field goals. His only miss on the season was back in week two. And he surpassed Aldrick Rosas and Josh Brown for most made field goals of 50-plus yards in a season. So that's going to be um, a tough record to break for future Giants kickers. But Gano is here to stay. I'm looking forward to having the Scottish Hammer back next year. Uh, I have a feeling he might, probably one of the few Giants that will probably still be there by the time we're in our 30s. I don't know about that. I mean, Gano's 33. That's impossible. I'm only five years away, so don't remind me. Um, so anyway, <laughs> there were some bad things about this game. Uh, well, some bad things about the season. Our pro bowler in our tight end, Evan Ingram, had two drops, including one that led to the interception. Only had two catches in the game. And fun fact, shout out to my cousin for uh, digging this up for me. Giants quarterbacks have six interceptions when targeting Evan Ingram this year. Out of the 10 total picks thrown by Giants quarterbacks, six of them were when Ingram was the target. Now, my opinion Ingram had an overhyped year, contributed to many of the mistakes and miscues. Do the Giants need to move on? And if so, when? It's not a matter of if the Giants need to move on. It's a matter of if they actually will do it. And I think that the answer that we all know to that is no. I think that's no. Because if it was if it was up to me, and maybe a lot of us, I think that we could potentially, you know, we're talking about all these receivers coming out. The Giants are in a good position right now at the 11th overall pick, if you really thought about it, the draft Kyle Pitts out of Florida. And I don't know how much the rest of you guys are watching some college football, some Florida football, but that man, that man is what people say Evan Ingram is supposed to be as an NFL player. That's who he is. He catches the ball, athletic freak. Again, built like a wide receiver, but has the size of a tight end. Unguardable like a tight end. That's somebody that I could question and say, that's the guy I want. Evan Ingram. I mean, it's not even just this season. It's every single season that he plays. That Tom, you alluded to it earlier, is overhyped. Every single year. He was finally healthy this year. Somehow, somehow made a Pro Bowl in which Robert Tanyan, even though it's not a household name, had 10 times the amount of touchdowns that he had. Yeah. Rob Gronkowski is now in the NFC, had more touchdowns and more yardage than he had. But Evan Ingram, with one catching touchdown, receiving touchdown, made the Pro Bowl. Don't even know how that happened. Don't even know how that would happen. I think it's a fan vote, right? Maybe that's how I it feel happened. like he got in by default because George Kittle was hurt. Let's be real. New York is a heavy populated area. Ingram's a household name. Who's going to get in, him or Bob Tanyan? I don't think they're weighing touchdown receptions. Rob Gronkowski. That's yeah, a bigger true. household name than anything. That's, the, that's one of the greatest, if not the greatest, tight end of all time. But, I mean, Evan Ingram, I, I, I'd cut the court already. But the Giants, you know, they picked up the fifth-year option. He's coming back next season. And then it'll just be a matter of time whether the Giants decide to either tag him, resign him, or let him go. And that'll be the decision come next year. James, what do you think, man? This is, this is crumbling. This is getting to a point where he had his first full healthy season and we still haven't seen anything. Um, so if I had scissors – I would cut a piece of paper with his name on it, but I don't, or I don't have a piece of 
paper with his name on it. Um, Tom, like you said, his season was overhyped. I think that's because he was healthy. He was coming in healthy, and really, us Giant fans, uh, maybe not all of us, but some Giants fans were like, great, he's coming in healthy. We'll see what he can do for us. And, well, we saw what he can do for us. He can't catch a ball. He can't, he can't do anything. I, they, Like Russo said, they picked up his fifth option. We're going to have to tough it out. I mean, hopefully somebody's in dire need of a tight end come mid-next season when the trade deadline is and we unload him. I don't want it after this, after his fifth option. I think we just cut ties with him. He's been, he hasn't been helpful, um, especially to Jones is growing into a quarterback in the NFL. Usually your tight ends, probably your go-to for that stuff. Um, especially like third and four, third and three, especially so close to the end zone. And well, we haven't, been able to rely on that and that's yeah. difficult to watch from a Giants perspective yeah um it's I, weird I have a feeling he's gonna be back next year but yeah I'm definitely not on board with him being back next year I've I to be honest with you I've pretty much lost patience with him probably at the beginning of the season but now I've definitely lost patience and don't he even needs, get started about that Philadelphia game he needs to be a volleyball setter that's what he'd be really good at just put him in there and just set the balls up for the spike, you know? Yeah. But, he does that for the defense all the time. Um, let's move on. The Giants, and again, he contributed to a lot of these failed third-down conversions. We lost the turnover battle. It wasn't good. Uh, defensively, again, another big con in this game. We weren't good guarding Dalton Schultz. Are we surprised? He was the Cowboys' no. leading receiver. Seven catches for 70 yards. Um, despite all that, we overcame it. We won the football game, and unfortunately, Washington took care of business against Philadelphia, Hank. And so that brings me to, obviously, a scorching hot topic. We all know that Doug Peterson has pretty much been getting hammered, and obviously it's because he benched Hurts, which caused the Eagles to lose and eliminated the Giants. However, given the whole reactions, I do have to ask the question. Do we have a right to be upset at them? And even so, does Doug Peterson deserve the blame, or are we directing the blame the wrong way? Hank, to answer, go ahead. I was going to say, Hank, are you asking us as us giant fans or us fans as the NFL? Oh, just at, overall, in general. Okay. Go ahead, Russo. So, overall, I mean, I guess, yeah, you could – You'd be upset. I think it, the, the bigger take was from the Giants' perspective because you guys know Giants fans. I mean, everybody in today's day and age that is a part of social media was seeing every single Giants player tweet out, are you kidding me? Like, what is happening? Why is Jalen Hurts on the bench? But at the same point in time, I'm sitting there saying to myself, we had 16 games, man, and you guys came away with a 6-10 and 10 season. And most of the teams in which you bait were not really great teams. You guys had 16 opportunities. You just couldn't pull it through. Now, from the defensive side of the ball, when the defensive players were commenting, like Blake Martinez, like Bradbury commented, I felt bad. But Darius Slayton, man, come on. You got to do more. He had a decent season. I think he might have been the leading in receiving yards this year with like 700, a quiet 700 and three touchdowns. Came all in the first five games. Exactly. <laughs> but at the same time, you got to do more from a team perspective. You can't blame other people. And Joe Judge said it perfectly. He said it perfectly. He said – I, or it was him or Jabril Peppers. I think it was the both of them. Jabril tweeted out. He said, all right, better next, better luck next year. 
uh, never want to leave the fate of our team's destiny in another team's hands. And that's exactly the case scenario. Is it terrible what Doug Peterson did? Absolutely. I don't think I've ever seen tanking in the NFL, but I think we could all confirm that was tanking. I don't think we've ever seen anything so close to that, to the word of tanking, except for that. That is the epitome of tanking. You had the opportunity to win the game. You pull your best chance to win the game. Not only is your best chance to win the game, he's responsible for the only points that you have on the board in the two touchdowns. You pull him, and not only do you pull him, you pull Jason Kelsey and you pull Zach Ertz. So you're really telling your team you're really trying to win that game, right, guys? No. He's trying to lose the football game. That's what it is. And something I brought up on a review and preview on Tuesday, <laughs> if, Hank, if you remember, it was Washington was going for it on fourth and one, uh, two minutes left on the fourth. Yeah. The Eagles just magically didn't know what was coming. Alex Smith just got them to draw off sides. That just magically happened. Yeah, no, no, way, no way ever could have predicted that, right? They were trying to lose the game. That was it. I feel bad for the Eagles players. And do I want to blame Doug Peterson for everything? To be honest, I don't know. A lot of people are saying that's probably a decision higher up. And it may be. Maybe Lori's responsible for that. Maybe Roseman's responsible for that. Because people want to say the difference between the sixth and the ninth pick. It's not a big deal. I hate to break it to you guys. When you look at this draft class, especially in a position of need, like the Eagles need, when you look at the cornerback position specifically, specifically and wide receivers, the sixth and ninth position is probably the difference between you getting Patrick Sertin, who's the hands-down best cornerback in this league, if you want to draft the corner or potentially drafting Jamar Chase or Devonta Smith. Because I don't know if either of those guys are going to be there at nine, and at least now you could guarantee yourself that you're probably going to get one of those guys come that sixth overall pick. You know, I'm going to probably say what I want to say about it, but James, I'll, let's let you go first. Um, honestly, it's our fault for not winning more games. We should have won a whole bunch more games. You Honestly, look at week one. We could have beat Pittsburgh, if uh, Jones didn't throw that interception, there there was other chances where we could have probably gone eight and eight, like I predicted on review and preview. Um, mm-hmm. Even not eight, you know, we might have even hit nine and seven. Maybe, maybe, maybe that could be a stretch, but maybe we we set our own fate. Yes, you need to rely on other help, which pretty much every team in the NFL did this season for whatever reason. Nobody was like. Let me help myself by winning, unless you're Green Bay. Um, so I understand, like, the offensive players, they come, like, come on, guys, you got to help us. But, like, def- the defense is the only only side that should be talking from the Giants' standpoint because literally every game they pretty much kept our, kept us in it unless they were gassed. Mm-hmm. Um, now to get to Doug Peterson. Well, it's an embarrassment you lose and make the um, opposing team make the playoffs on your home field. He's lucky there was no fans there, to be honest with you. Yeah, I don't um, he would have done that, James, if there was fans there, to be honest you with know, you. But I don't know. He might have. Well, considering um, the city, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that point. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, if there was fans there, they might be on the field a lot quicker than we all would think. Um, but it's an embarrassment to the players like Zach Ertz. I said this on Tuesday, guys. Zach Ertz was bawling his eyes out and sitting on the field to God knows what hour because he realized that he got pulled from the game because he, the coach's decision was, let's blow the game. For I don't know if you guys saw Jalen Hurts' face on the sideline. He was, like, all confused and whatnot. I don't blame him because, realistically, you have a whole quarterback debacle going on in the Eagles. Um, you got 
Carson Wentz signs to this massive contract that nobody may ever want to pick up. You got Jalen Hurts that you draft probably for your future, but he wasn't playing good. But let's pull him, and we might still have a chance to win. If they kept him in there and say they won, not that saying I would, if they're not going to win, say they won, that's going to only add to Jalen Hurts' value for trade. Be like, this guy had a terrible first half in the third, in the third and fourth quarter. He turned himself around and pulled the Eagles for a win. Someone like the Jets might be like, oh, let me look into him. But they might – well, the, the, and that's the only team that came to mind. Um, I – honestly, for for us Giants fans, it's on us for not winning more games. Um, and J.J. Watt said it the best two weeks ago. I don't know if you guys saw his video. You play the game to win. You play the game the full 60 minutes. The Eagles coach did not play the game the full 60 minutes. And that's what hurts me. That's what bothers me because you're out there to play a game. You're not out there to – do whatever the hell you want to do. Um, yeah, no. So first off, I'm going to say this. I can totally understand any giant fans such as us who would be upset with Philly doing what they did. Like it, I, I told, I think you totally have a right to be upset first off with that having been said, I don't think it makes us as giant fans, any, any less fans, to admit that obviously the Giants should have taken care of their own business. There are at least two games this season the Giants should have won. I'm going to say the Philly game and the Dallas game. You can make the argument for maybe the Chicago game week two, but I still don't think that team gelled enough, and I don't think we're going to win that game. You could, Tampa. Yeah, yeah, I was getting to that. I was about to say you could also make the argument for Tampa, whereas if you chop up Daniel Jones' interceptions, we probably would have won that game. However... At the end of the day, Giants were six and ten. Six and ten, generally speaking, never is going to be enough to get you in the playoffs. So, Giants for the most part have no one to blame themselves. Now, with that having been said, let me get to Doug Peterson and the Eagles. I'm not a hundred percent sure if tanking was his full intent all along. He might have, he might have not. But I think, regardless of how you look at Doug Peterson's decision, I think the fact of the matter is. He did not handle this game very well. I think what what I don't really understand is why is nobody complaining about the fact that Carson Wentz is a healthy stretch? I mean, look at the team that he's played around. What a slap in the face for him. And and now he and all year, like he's had to deal with the fact that they drafted Jalen Hurts so high. And going into next year, like he and Doug Peterson's relationship is strained beyond control beyond repair. Mm-hmm. So it's going to reach a point where I think they're probably going to end up having to trade Carson Wentz. And do you know whose fault that is? Rosen. Correct. The, the Eagles really did this to themselves. And I, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure he was trying to tank. I just think Doug Peterson really executed this game horribly. Hmm. I think that's right. what took away. I don't know if it was necessarily him tanking, just terrible execution. Well, Quickly here, and then we got to move on. The the, fan, the players on that team, they rebelled. Were pretty much mad at him. So, so last thing before we wrap this segment up is, uh, yeah, no. Look, the Giants made their own bed. They dug their own grave as far as the playoffs go. Um, Doug Peterson stated before the game that Nate Sudfeld would play. So I wasn't surprised. I don't know why a lot of Giant fans were surprised. If you read the news, you would have known. Um, also. 
Doug Peterson pulled out a motto, the complete opposite of Tom Coughlin and how he approached a meaningless game where Hertz could have gained valuable experience. His players were confused. Miles Sanders was one of them. And postseason or not, it doesn't really change that there's a lot of work to be done for the New York football Giants. Guys, we have to remember that. Uh, there are still plenty of holes on the roster, such as edge rusher, wide receiver, secondary, O-line. And look, the Giants needed to be better offensively. It wasn't just the turnovers. They had to execute and move the football better. We were 31st in offense. We couldn't move the chains. We averaged 17 and a half points a game. That's not good enough in the modern day NFL. And, um, you know, as we, we move into the key takeaways, um, I got to say, this was a very flawed football team. But were they flawed because they were bad or were they flawed because they were young? I think it's the latter of the two. I don't think there's necessarily just a player that you can go on this roster that they're absolutely awful besides Devontae Downs, of course. But um, I've got to say, the team showed improvement and they took a step in the right direction. That is why we're leaving this season with a little bit of positivity because there's hope for the future. And compared to years past, there was a big difference this season. Majority of the games that the Giants lost were close. In other words, you never sensed the lack of heart. In years past, there'd be close games, but the Giants just really, you know, it was like whatever. Uh, there was a lot of determination on this team, a telltale that the culture is really improving with this franchise, fellas. And there's a, this is an extremely young team. I look at the I looked at the roster this morning. Over half the roster is 25 or younger. There's 26 guys out of 53 on this roster that are 25 years of age and under. That is insane. I love the youth of this football team, but. Let's talk about um, the defensive stars of this team this year. And I think I want to make sure you guys both agree. We picked five stars of the defense. And when I first think of this defense, it just goes to show you that Dave Gettleman really nailed this offseason. Regardless of what the record was, he brought the right players in. And these are the first three. Hank calls them the defensive heroes that we're going to go over. That's these three men, right? Yes. What's the first thing we see here, Hank? First thing we see is Leonard Williams, who, like I said at the beginning, that appeared to be a mistake early on, but he had turned out to be better than we expected and somebody who is going to get a well-deserved raise this offseason. Yeah. And, yeah. and he earned it. 11 and a half sacks, leads the team, and his performance last week speaks for itself. He was huge. And actually – not even just that one. The the last two games the Giants won, Leonard Williams had a big hand in. So that tells you something. Guys, Leonard Williams, by far, uh, tagging him was a good move because you didn't sign him to a big contract. Uh, what do you guys think of Leonard? And then let's talk about Blake and Bradbury Bunker as well. What do you guys think of these three guys this year and how really they were pretty much the cornerstone to a successful defense in 2020? When you look at Blake Martinez and you look at James Bradbury and the acquisition of both of those guys, you knew exactly what you were getting in both of them. And I think they were probably two of the most guaranteed players that I've seen in the offseason be brought over to a team in such a long time. Bradbury, first off, was playing in the division with some of the top wide receivers in the NFL, and he was quietly shutting them down. Again, he was never an interception guy, but he quietly held down Mike Evans. He quietly held down Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. He quietly held down uh, Michael Thomas. That's what he did for the first, what, three, four years of his career. That was his job for eight game, uh, for six games in a season. 
he did an excellent job. Blake Martinez, moving on to him. Blake Martinez, the, the tag that's been applied to his name is a tackling machine, tackling monster. That's what he does. He's never necessarily a cover guy in Green Bay. That's probably one of the reasons in which they let him go because he wasn't a cover guy. But you knew with Blake Martinez, the guy was going to get a boatload of tackles and lead your team in tackles, which we see this season, not only for our team, but in the NFL third and the NFL finishing. You knew exactly what you were going to get in him. Now, moving into Leonard Williams, again, I'll be the first one to say I hated that trade last year. I don't know a lot of fans, whether you're a Giants fan or NFL fan, that said, man, that was a smart move. But at the end of the day, Dave Gettleman proved wrong. He did. He did. Now, is that a testament to Patrick Graham, the defensive system that he ran, runs? I think that's a major factor because Patrick Graham, in his first year with the team, is already getting head coaching calls, and the Giants got to snatch him up and make sure he's a priority before he gets out of the organization. I think that's a big spot of it as well. But Leonard Williams, he proved himself. The only thing with Leonard Williams that scares me in the back of my mind, and it's what any player that performs like this is, Man, why does it take you to your contract year? Is that just a coincidence, or why does it take you to a contract year to just absolutely blow the rest of your career statistics out of the water? I feel like part of it has to do with the motivational factor, but it also might just be the fact that, like, again, as you mentioned, he's in a new system, and as I said earlier, sometimes a change of scenery or a change in teams can really work do wonders for a player's career. Yeah. And I think maybe the Giants just were able to get the most out of his talent. So I think at the end of the day, it's a little hand in hand. And remember, this guy wasn't untalented. Like he had good moments when he was with the Jets. Like, I don't think he just necessarily became bad overnight. I think rotting with the Jets may have may have yeah. affected him somehow. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to look at too deep into it, but that's just my theory. One of his best seasons was when he lined up on the opposite side of Muhammad Wilkerson, when he was one of the most dominant forces in, you know, the league, forget about the Jets, but the league. And then when that crumbled, then you saw, you know, when it solely got left on him on the defense, that's when he plummeted. Yeah. Yeah. James, I want to get to you here. Obviously, Blake Martinez, eight games of 10-plus tackles is very impressive. First time in a while we've seen the linebacker of his status come onto this roster. Uh, Bradbury, first career Pro Bowl. In fact, he was so good, you bought his jersey midseason. Yeah. Uh, well, not not mid season, but uh, for Christmas that is, or for your birthday, I forget which one it was. But uh, yeah, it's for my birthday. It came like a week and a half before Christmas. Good <laughs> yet. That's a good. Yet. I have a, I myself have a Blake Martinez jersey on the way. Nice. Talk to me about James Bradbury, James. I, I know you two have the same name. So uh, did this inspire you to make this purchase, or was, was there something else about him on the field this year that kind of really clicked and like he's my guy? Um, it's uh, not the name. James is a great name. Um, but to, <laughs> to get back on track, um, it's something that clicked with me seeing him on a field. He was somebody that was able to lock down the top guys throughout the season. He was also not a slacker. As we saw in most of our corners in years past, we had, we had great ones. We had terrible ones. We had Jackrabbit, which was great when we first brought him on against Dez and all those guys, and then he kind of fell off. James Bradbury has in, instilled in me, he's somebody that's not going to slack off. He made every big wide receiver so quiet. Like, you you wouldn't think he's on the field. The biggest one, in my eyes, from this season, um, there's probably a lot more, but when we played Seattle, who did he line up against? 
DK Metcalf, baby. DK Metcalf. He DK Metcalf was going off weeks prior. That's all you heard in the NFL on the news. DK Metcalf he did this, 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 this. When we played him, I barely heard his name get called. You wanna know why? James Bradbury was able to shut him down. Yeah. I think it's it's great and finally able to see that we're able to have a top elite what what is it? Um I would consider him the third uh top early uh elite C B in the league. Um that's just me. Um to shut everybody down, realistically. I, he doesn't follow the top guys, which is like, all right. But at the same time, if he can lock down that one side, you know that the only way you're getting your top wide receiver if you go on the other side. And at the other side, who do we have? Nobody. We have Nobody. Ryan Lewis, Isaac Yadam. Exactly. So we don't have a top guy on that side. But if we get somebody to match his caliber on the opposite side, we're going to be a dangerous team in the CB position. Um, and he's just a top flight guy. So speaking of the secondary, um, which player on the secondary has impressed you guys the most this year outside of James Bradbury? I think it's, it's gotta be Jabril. It's gotta be Jabril. Cause Jabril yeah. was like a, a piece in that Cleveland trade a year ago. He wasn't necessarily the, the guy. It was more so the picks you looked at and he was just that guy. Cause we saw in Cleveland, Cleveland didn't even know how to use him. They were you were seeing him play more of a kick returner than the actual safety position. The Giants have brought him in to play true safety. And yes, they've used him on special teams, but he's been playing a majority of those snaps at the safety position, and he's excelled. He's excelled beyond belief. I think he's an excellent, excellent safety in this league. You know, I was a guy that that, that said that, and I'll stand on this, and I still think it should have happened. Uh, I didn't see any reason for Landon Collins to be let go. I don't care what anybody said analytically wise. I saw that guy from one line uh, from one line to the other cover the entire part of the field, no matter what position he played. But Jabril Peppers is that same type of force. He's that same type of guy, same type of energy, looking to be part of every single play on the defensive side of the ball. We see these. We see it in his stats: two and a half sacks as a safety, eleven pass deflections, an INT, and eight tackles for loss, combined with almost a hundred tackles. That's fantastic numbers for a safety. Now, the question with Jabril is just a matter of health. Because in his first year, he was unhealthy. And on a lot of plays this season, and you guys can agree with me when I say this, you always saw Jabril walking off the field, and then he'd come back out a couple plays later and have that same type of energy. Um, but Jabril has definitely been another player uh, on the secondary that's impressed me a lot. Yeah, he has. Um, it's real interesting because when, when I – Talk about Jabril Peppers, local guy from New Jersey, great eighth man in the box player. We have a decision to make on him in a year because, remember, we did trade him from Cleveland. We never signed him. Technically, Jabril Peppers is just about finishing up his rookie contract, so he's still on a rookie deal. Um, and then Logan Ryan's the other guy, James. He, he's been great. Um, you, know, you know, I got to say, coming in, this guy was signed on August 31st and still managed to play – 96% of the defensive snaps. He pretty much essentially missed the first month of, you know, camp. And he, there, there was really not much time for him to learn the playbook. And he emerged as an unsung hero, as Hank loves to call him. Uh, yeah. Nearly a hundred tackles on the year. And he has a knack for causing turnovers. Look, he caught, he caused several fumbles and recovered a couple. He's, he's really a great hybrid player in the secondary. 
Tom, I'd happen to agree with every statement you said. You look at these two guys, um, then I'll go back to Rogan, uh, Logan Ryan. You look at these two guys, they complement each other. 91 tackles for Peppers, 94 tackles for Ryan. That's just phenomenal. That's yeah. something you want to see from your safeties. Now get back to Logan. For him to be signed on August 31st, missed pretty much the first month of the season or so, yeah. and still putting up these phenomenal numbers, and get signed to a three-year, $31 million extension on Christmas Day. Merry Christmas, Logan Ryan. Um, <laughs> it's great because he he's smart enough to realize, I came in late, I got to learn all these different techniques and all this other stuff. Usually when you put somebody in that position, you they're not making 94 tackles. You know, they're not doing all the stuff he's doing. That's showing me he's a smart guy. He's willing to learn and he wants to help this team succeed. Yeah, exactly. I agree. And he earned his extension on Christmas day, which is excellent to see. Uh, I know we're all big advocates for Logan Ryan, the four of us. We all like him a lot. Merry Christmas fellas. And uh, moving on, I know, about two, three weeks past that at this point. But this season, Hank, this in particular season, as you like to say, it felt like a mid-90s type of season. Yeah, <laughs> those teams were eerily similar. Like the 96 team in particular, that team also finished 6-10. and 10, But you had a strong defense with guys such as Michael Strahan. And I think this was – and Jesse Arm said this is actually their first year where they really emerged as key pieces on that defensive front. But like that team – they also had a Duke quarterback, and they also struggled to score points. So, you know, this this season definitely felt like it. However, the difference is the current Duke quarterback, I think, at least has potential compared to Dave Brown. Right. Dave, Dave Brown's an interesting cornerback. Uh, played across Jason. Uh, yes, cornerback played across Jason Seahorn for several. No, no, no years. quarterback. Dave Brown. He was a quarterback. Okay, we also had a Dave Brown cornerback as well. Just so you oh, know. Right. Right. Yeah. So a little confusion there. My okay. bad. Just making sure uh, it is your bad, by the way. Oh, yeah, please. I, <laughs> you know, you're, you're a piece of work sometimes. <laughs> uh, all right. So Hank and guys, uh, there's a lot of questions heading into the offseason free agency. There's work to be done, as stated by Dave Gittleman. Uh, John Mara pretty much said Gettleman will be back and the offseason is shaping up to be the most important for Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge. Uh, you know, there's a discussion lingering whether it was right or not for the Giants to bring him back. And I guess we'll start with that and how important it is, um, Kyle, for DG and uh, Joe Judge to have a solid and good working relationship. I mean, from what we've heard, because um, Dave Gettleman and the and John Mara spoke, I believe it was yesterday, if not today. They, they have a solid relationship. That's something that Dave Gettleman talked about is that he has a great relationship with Joe. Was I an advocate for Dave Gettleman? No. I don't, I don't think that, again, he's made some decent moves this year. But when in three years you put together, what, uh, six wins this year, five wins last year, and four years in the first year or something like that, then I'm sorry. When you have a total of – yeah, a total of 15 wins. You don't need to have a full season of wins in three seasons. I don't care that you hit the you, you hit the jackpot on James Bradbury and you hit the jackpot on Blake Martinez because it wasn't really the jackpot. I said it earlier. You knew the types of players that you were getting. It was just a matter of you actually bringing them in and saying, okay, we need these guys. These are the guys that can help us. Joe Judge, that's a solid hiring. But, again, we want to see improvement. And winning one game at a time – 
you know, uh, a progression where you move from four to five to six. I need to see bigger improvement than that. Along the lines of the same, along the, along the same lines, Dave Gettleman is not a spring chicken guy. He's seventy years old. This is not a guy. This is not a developmental piece that we could say, oh, he's going to be here in the long haul. He's going to be the success for turning this thing around because he doesn't have those types of years left. And I think we could all say that whether we agree or not on what the outcome of the Giants will be for next season, if it's not a good one, if we see another 6-10, and 10, I don't really see any reason to bring back DJ. And I think it's going to be really, really hard, especially in a draft where he doesn't have many picks, in an offseason where he doesn't have much money to spend. It's going to be very difficult to improve the team to that point where they get over that hump, potentially making the playoffs or just getting over 500. I think that's a lot of responsibility on DG because in the past, he hasn't done that great of a job in free agency. He hasn't done that great of a job in the drafts. He's hit on some guys, no doubt. But again, it's not translating into wins, and that's what's most important. We know that. Mm-hmm. James, what's your uh, what's your thoughts? Um, so, Russo pretty much kind of covered everything that I would say. He's not a spring chicken. Yes, he's not. Um but we look. I look at it this way: you got Joe Judge in there um, that wants to change the mentality of this team. He is changing the mentality of this team, at least from what I'm seeing on, put on the field. Um, I'm sure he had a decent amount to say for the tweets that were coming from his wide receiver core um, mm-hmm. during last Sunday's game. But to get back on track, I think he's going to help Dave Gettleman um, draft. I think he wants to form this team. I wouldn't be surprised if Dave Gettleman doesn't do a very good job. If we see Dave Gettleman gone and Joe Judge being the head coach and the general manager, to be honest with you, he could honestly do both. He's put his, Joe Judge has put his hands in pretty much every team yep. on the organization and has worked out pretty well, at least for year one. Um, I think he's going to get a lot. Dave Gettleman is going to get a lot of help from Joe Judge. And if he denies that or doesn't want the help, you're going to see a big change because that's the only way to help this team is with the pieces you have there and from a coach's standpoint, especially coming from a Belichick background. Yeah, and so with that having been said, I, I'm i kind of on the fence. I wasn't really for bringing him back per se, but I totally understand the decision and I totally get it. I'm just not... I wouldn't say I'm 100%, but with that having been said, I think if he and Joe Judge can get a good working relationship, I think that definitely helps. Now, of course, speaking of Gellin, with that having been said, let's say either of you two are in his shoes. What's your top priority that's going to be made this offseason, and uh, what's the first move you're going to make? First move I'm going to make? Mm-hmm. It's so tough. It's so tough. If I, the first move I'm going to make uh, – I'm cutting some players to free up caps, so I make sure that I don't have any trouble re-signing Leonard Williams or any trouble in terms of losing Dalvin Tomlinson. That's one. And then I either make the executive decision and say, okay, we're taking a wide receiver in the first round with that 11th overall pick, Mm -hmm. or we're bringing in Allen Robinson. It's one of those two. The Giants have to do one of those two because they cannot continue to not address the obvious. And the fact of the matter is you're only further holding back the progression of this offense because I hate to break it to you, you can't win games with 11 touchdowns throwing. You need, And that's partly on the fact that you don't have a number one receiver. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love Sterling Shepard, and I'll advocate for him like I did earlier, but it's not a number one Darius Slate in the same, and Golden Tate's not a part of this future. 
you need a number one receiver. I think that's probably the biggest need at this point in time uh, when you really break things down. Yeah. No, yeah. I definitely agree with that. Definitely agree with that. Um, James, you're Dave Gettleman. All right, I'm Dave Gettleman. Well, first I would like to do is um, either try to negotiate with a few contracts, either try to bring them down and be like, listen, you got to – reorganize, you know, this is what we pretty much have to offer to some of our key players like the defensive side, like Leonard Williams. We want to keep you guys all together. Do you mind taking a little pay cut this season? We'll make it up for you later this season. Either you get more up front or what have you. That starts with Nate Solder. I don't know if you can reconstruct his contract. I would love they could. Um, and if they can't, well, that's out the window. Um, the next step at this point. Well, yeah, the next step, I would honestly have to sit down with Evan Ingram with Coach Judge, and be like, are, are you serious? Are you kidding me right now? Can you can you catch? Like, I honestly would do that. I would sit down with him and be like, listen, bud, you're talented, you have all this talent, but we haven't seen it from you throughout the years. It's just horrendous. Are you going to make an improvement or not? You, you got to tell me face-to-face. And if I don't see that in training camp, he's gone. Or he is. He's just gone. Too bad. Um. Then comes the draft. The draft, well, either you address the quarterback situation or you hold on to, to Daniel Jones. You address the defensive situation and you let the offensive hurt you again. Or you just wing it and hopefully it works. Well, I'm not going to wing it. I am going to go after an offensive wide receiver if I can. And if he's not there, if my guy isn't there that I predict or I want, in the first round, I switch to the other table. I have two scenarios up on my board when it's time for me to pick. And my coaches agree on it. I'm not going to just half-fast it and not agree with them. I want them on board as much as possible for either decision. If my top wide receiver isn't there, I switch to defense. I see if there's a pass rusher or a cornerback that I could take. Definitely interesting point there, James. My first move is go after Leo. Bring him back. Get get Leo back in here. That's what we need. He's he's, he's our guy. Yeah, that's what we need. Edge rushers, uh, interior defensive linemen that can get to the quarterback. That's what we need. Um, all right. So although Daniel Jones had a significant turnaround in the second half, we know there's no player that will be under more pressure than him heading into next year. We've seen that he can limit turnovers, but – the real question is, can he put up points and have performances that are enough to win games? I think he he will, and I think he does, but it'll be left to be seen. I know there's mixed opinions as Giant fans. Look, guys, we can sit here and have an entire show on Daniel Jones. Uh, some people are going to say yes. Others are going to say no. But uh, the real discussion is, besides Daniel Jones, if each of you can name two players – followed by a brief statement that are under the most pressure heading into 2021 and why? Uh, just on the offense or just from a team perspective? The entire team. In general. Uh, I think they're actually both on the offense. I think it's I think it's one, Evan Ingram, obviously. Because yep. it, it's not only at this point, you know, are you going to make it with this team. It's a matter of fact that you're going to make it in the NFL because nobody's going to add a player or pay a player to drop passes. Yeah. If they want that, they could hire me. I could do that pretty well, too. <laughs> Um, and number two, and this may come as a surprise, it's Saquon Barkley. It's Saquon Barkley. He proved we could do in his first year, and he's been struck by injury, there's no doubt, and it's been partially because the offensive line has been terrible. That's, that's a fact. 
The thing is, can you produce at an extremely high level effectively each game, no matter what defense you're going up against? That's that's the question point because, again, we're getting to this point now where the Giants are right there. They got to be paying Saquon Barkley. And because they waited so long, they let every other running back reset the market. So you might be Saquon Barkley and getting a $20 million contract because Christian McCaffrey reset it, Alvin Kamara reset it, Zeke reset it, and Saquon's that next guy up. And he's going to have a healthy season next season. Everybody's saying the comeback season. I didn't think I could see a greater rookie performance, and I thought it was only going to get better from that point on. But he hasn't shown that. That's been because of injury. If he's healthy and he could do that same thing, all the pressure's on him. When he comes back, because again, we could talk about Daniel Jones and what he needs to improve. If Saquon Barkley doesn't do what everybody's expecting him to do to lead yeah. the offense in terms of everything, it's yeah. going to be bad. The Giants will not win a lot of games if he doesn't do a lot. James. So the two players um, would be Evan Ingram. Uh, Russo said it. We pretty much probably all agree on that in some standpoint. I'm not going to go further into that um, other than he needs to make his plays. Second would probably be Leonard Williams. It might come to surprise, but after we sign him, can he keep that caliber of play up? I want to see that. I don't want him to go back to when we first brought him over from the Jets and have a half a sack and that's it. I want to make sure, even if he's not getting 11 and a half sacks or whatever it came out to be, I want to at least see eight, nine, ten and a half sacks that I know right. I paid you what you were worth yeah. and I pick correctly to keep you. Mm-hmm. That's Hank. a pretty good point. Hank, you're up. Yeah, I definitely – I would probably put Leonard Williams probably to a lesser extent, but, yeah, I think James brings up a good point. Evan Engram's an obvious one because I think we pretty much know he's going to be back next year. It's just a matter of can he redeem himself or can he not? So that having been said, I think obviously he's one. And then, of course, last but not least, this is probably the most obvious one, Saquon Barkley. Can Is he going to be as effective when healthy coming off an ACL? Remember, not everyone is going to be like Adrian Peterson and have a successful recovery from that type of surgery. Win the but, MVP. Win the MVP, too. Yeah. <laughs> But with that having been said, you know, with this fan base and you know how impatient they can be, you know, there's going to be a lot asked. So I I think it, I think Engram and Barkley are the obvious choices, but I would definitely agree with James and put Leonard Williams to to the lesser degree. So quickly, my two followed by a brief statement. I'm going to Georgia Bulldogs, Uh, Andrew Thomas, left tackle. He's going to be under an immense load of pressure in 2021. He has to cash in. My other is Lorenzo Carter. None of you guys mentioned him, but he's our number one pass rusher. If we're going to win football games, we got to get to the quarterback. Outside of Leonard Williams, that's our man. So I'm going with those two players. Um, Hank, you can get to the next question, if you may. All right. So now let's talk about surprises from this year. Which player on the roster like surprised you the most for like how well he did? It's, it's, it's again, it's just too obvious not to pick somebody else. It's Leonard Williams. I mean, it's yep. just, it's Leonard Williams. It's, this was a guy that people were saying that was the worst trade in NFL mm-hmm. history just a year ago. 
And this guy now placed what, like in the top six in terms of finishing off the year in sacks? Yeah. And again, is that a product of Patrick Graham? You know, we'll see over time. Because again, I think we could all agree that Leonard Williams is coming back. And with a contract of that magnitude, it's going to be for a long time. Mm-hmm. Again, the way he was able to turn his whole career around, his whole career, he, I think he was career highs in almost every single statistic that he put up in the board. Again, Tank, you brought it up. Is he, is he inflating his numbers? Does that motivation? We'll see. But that's definitely hands down the most impressive. Uh, John Suggs bringing up Martinez. Again, you knew you, you knew you get into Martinez. Uh, James Bradbury was surprising early because he was putting picks on the board. But in terms of his shutdown receiver play, you knew you were getting that. But Leonard Williams, that was the biggest question mark because especially because the Giants didn't have one true pass rusher on the entire roster with the exception of maybe him getting to the quarterback. And he did that at the highest level for this team. Yep. James, your take. So um, the obvious one would be with Kyle, but I'm not. Evan Ingram, nope, JK. I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, (laughs) He made the Pro Bowl. What are you talking about? That's a surprise. It's uh, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I thought that um, was a fake account. It's, uh, oh. it's, it's Peppers, <laughs> and I'm going to say Peppers because I'll be brief. Um, he does two different positions. He is our punt returner, and he is also the probably one of the strongest safeties on our team. You see him return punch, jump back on the field, say two ten seconds later because our offense can't hold the drive. Yeah. He's going out there playing his heart out every down. He's there pretty much every down. Yeah, you see him go off the sidelines because he needs breath. Other than otherwise, the man's going to drop on the field. Um, that's my guy. Guys, it's Nick Gates. A hundred percent, it's Nick Gates. He he played every single snap. He was our best lineman, statistically wise. I don't think he's our, our best lineman, but he, he statistically wise, he was. And I think as far as what you expected, I expected Leonard Williams to have a good season. I really did. I expected Bradbury and Martinez to come up to come in here and produce. I didn't expect this from Nick Gates. I wasn't so sure he was going to stick after the first couple of weeks. Barkley couldn't get out of the backfield week one against Pittsburgh. So the transformation Nick Gates has made from week one to week 17 by far is the biggest improvement. And that personally surprised me the most, Hank. Yeah, I, I like that choice. I think it's probably Nick Gates and the Iron Man of the offensive line. He didn't he didn't miss a single snap. Am I correct? No, nope. he did not. Yeah, I think he emerges probably one of our best players on that line, and I'm looking forward to see what he can do next year and see what Andrew Thomas can do in his second season as well. Um. All right. So two more questions before we get to the last segment, which is a keep them dump them segment. Uh. Out of all the games the Giants lost, which one would you like to have back? James, we'll start with you. Oh, definitely that Dallas game. I'm just, Fans that may not know me, I'm Big Blue Avenue, but on review and preview, I'm not a big fan of the Cowboys. Exactly. I was watching you guys <laughs> earlier. That's the amount of losses they have in the L's. You guys can count them. I didn't realize you Oh, I knew you did that, that on purpose. I yeah. knew you did that on purpose. I... I can't stand the fans. I, I just can't. I love their stadium. I definitely want to visit their stadium. They got cool stuff there. Oh, me too. That's, that's on my bucket list. But to get back on track, Dallas, because we took out Dak Prescott. You took him out. You should be able to win. I mean, we threw this against Washington. Me and Kyle were texting on the sidelines when Alex Smith came in. We're like, well, here comes the comeback for Washington. You take out your guy. 
you're expected to hit them hard, hit them fast, and you don't, and you let Andy Dalton or whoever the quarterback was at the time come in and march down the field and win for you, I'm sorry. I would love that win back. Kyle. Uh, I love the one against Tom Brady back. I love the one against Tom Brady back. I mean, that's just that's the obvious choice. You want to you want the opportunity at home. That was a primetime game, right? Monday night or something yeah. like that. Sunday night. Yeah. You want that game back against Tom Brady, the goat, especially the way you lost it. I mean, just just not throwing the ball right away to Deion Lewis and let Antoine Winfield Jr. run across the entire end zone to make the block. You want that one back. That, that that's my game. I'd want back personally. That's an interesting choice. I mean, Tampa, I agree. That was a winnable game. That's that's not a terrible choice at all. However, with that being said, as much as I cannot stand the Cowboys, I do agree the fan base is one of the more annoying ones in the league. Surprisingly, they're only my second least favorite team in the league. And for those of you that know me and have talked football with me before, I think you guys know where I'm going to go with this one loss that I'm going to have back. That's a pretty obvious one. It's oh, Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Philadelphia. Yeah. I have seen many a terrible loss to the Eagles, and it never ceases to amaze me in the wrong way how many times we've let Sherwin's get away from us against that franchise, and fr- quite frankly, it makes yeah. it stick to my stomach. But that one in particular, how do you let that one get away? I mean, ask Kevin Ingram. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, I'm just going to stop before I get all <laughs> before I get a headache from talking about that. But yeah, Billy, that's the short answer. Um. I'm going to go with a wild card. I want the Rams game back, to be honest. Uh, we were in that game. I really wanted that last drive back. I think if we tied and went for two, I think we we might we might have won. And that could have been our signature win. So I definitely want that Rams game back, uh, just to be a little different there. But uh, that's, not, that's a good one, too. I didn't think of that. Hank, there was a press conference yesterday between John Mara, Dave Gettleman with the media, and you know there was a lot of stuff coming in because the Giants now hold the 11th overall pick and, you know, heading into the off season, I know there was one last question you wanted to ask. Yeah. I want to know if either of you somehow like caught a glimpse of like the press conference or if it like changed your opinion at all about the team going forward. It didn't change my opinion about the team going forward. I know that again, the Giants, no matter how much you may want it, how much you may be against it, because there's no real in between. There's the fans that want the old school and they're the fans that want the newer school and want to ditch it behind because they don't think it's working. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm that fan. I don't think it's working. Joe Judge, I love him, but you could tell. He's, he wants some trick plays in there. He wants a special offense. As good as the defense is, he wants the offense to be able to do something. Just mm-hmm. hasn't been able to do anything. And that's why it scares me with that 11th overall pick. The defense, again, was uh, finished in top 10 every single category. I don't think that's a need at, in mm-hmm. the top 11. I think your defense is fine. The offense that, that couldn't score for the life of them, I think that's a bigger need. But mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. Um, I personally didn't see the press conference. Um, the only part I saw was from Tom when he uh, texted it to me earlier. Ah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but from what Russo's saying, I should probably go back and look, watch it just to get somewhat of a better idea what went on. Um, but what Kyle's saying is – I'm not surprised. The defense outperformed probably anybody thought. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to what Dave Gettleman has going forward. Yeah, I caught a little bit of it. I didn't catch the entire thing. From what I understand, I think one of the things I took away was Gettleman said he wanted to add playmakers, which 
I think if you read in between the lines, I think pretty much he kind of said it himself. I think that pretty much means they're going to draft a wide receiver in the first round. Now, obviously that's subject to change, but fact of the matter is I know they're going to get Daniel Jones a weapon who it'll be. We'll, we'll see. But for the most part, yeah, no, I don't think my opinion really changed. I think from pretty much what I saw, it's, it was what I expected. I figured they were going to address wanting more playmakers or they might, they might fix the defense too, but I don't like, like you guys said, I don't think that's going to be what they address in the first round of the draft. And then the last thing I kind of want to talk about, they asked, they mentioned Barkley and I think Mara said something along the lines of, I hope he stays here for a long time. And yeah, I do too. But I think if you read in between the lines, he obviously wants to see a really good season out of Mara or Barkley for sure. Yeah. It would be interesting if John Mara took the field, Hank. No, I'd, yeah, no I'd, I'd love to see that, but no, you, you guys get my point. I mean, absolutely. Uh, as much as I felt that was a guaranteed hands-down pick, that was the opposing side that said that you could have drafted a quarterback. The opposing side, you could have drafted Quentin Nelson, who mm-hmm. already looks like or is the best guard or one of the best guards in all of football. There was a lot of moves they could have made there. They drafted the running back when everybody said, you know, the shelf life is not long. The Giants don't even have an offensive line to block for him. Why are you drafting a running back? And, you know, again, like I said, the offensive line being as porous as it is has caused him to get hurt as much as he has been. Um, Mm -hmm. But, again, when you draft that type of capital into a running back, right away, that point in time, all the way back in 2018, you know this guy is going to be a part of the long-term future. You know he is. Oh, for sure. Um, uh, You know, I'm a sucker for this stuff. I watched the whole thing. Uh, You know, I – I knew Dave Gettleman would, would be back in 2021. Uh, mm-hmm. The thing is, I just know, like, Matt Mara operates. He, he's very traditional. He's set to his ways, and it's hard to change that. You know, it's hard to change when you've been set a, a certain way for over 100 years. But, um, yeah, him and Wellington, his father, definitely have differences in how they run the organization. I think Wellington uh, was a little better. But, you know, John, again, he doesn't have as much experience, and we'll, we'll see what they can do heading into 2021. But now for our last segment of the evening. So this is how this is going to work. It's called Keep Them or Dump Them. James and Kyle, Hank and I have a list of 13 New York Giants. These 13 men will either be unrestricted free agents in the offseason or players that have been rumored to uh, possibly be released. In the offseason. Mm-hmm. So how this is going to work, Hank is going to start. Name the first guy. You'll each have five seconds to respond with keep or dump. And we'll start when Hank asks a question. Kyle, you'll go first. When I ask a question, James, you will go first. And then you can give a brief one to two liner as to why. So without further ado, Hank, I give you the reins and this should be pretty fun. And in other words, in the words of the class, should he stay or should he go? Okay, number one, Nate Solder. Go, baby, go. No place for him. James. Oh, I'm sorry. Tom, I thought you were going to ask me another one. Uh, Okay, bye. Yeah. I kind of figured that's where you guys were going to go, and I'm pretty much in agreement with all of you. Uh, Tom, do you want to do the next one or do you want me to keep going? I'll go. Uh, Kevin Zeitler, James. Keep. Dump. Keep. Yeah, I'm leaning towards the keep side. 
And the only reason why is because, I, I mean, I think we need a veteran. But I, I see the argument for dumping him as well because we free up a boatload of money if we do. Yeah, that's true. Uh, what are you going to do with Will Hernandez, too? That's the other reason to dump him. I mean, not really because you just benched Lemieux again. But I don't want to get into an argument with this right now. Let's just, let's just keep going. Uh, <laughs> let's right, save that for, off, for after the show. Uh, next one, Cam Fleming. God, that right tackle. Just dump. Dump. Maybe you could hit on somebody else. Yeah, dump. Dump. Gone. He gone. Yes, thank you, Ken Harrelson. <laughs> uh, Spencer Pulley. Keep. Okay. Dump. You got your best center that you've had in the last how many years? Dump. Yeah, I'm I'm if it helps, I heard it could free up about two point seven five million. I would dump Spencer Pulley only because Lemieux could become your backup center if he mm. reverts to a backup. Uh that's that's what I'm thinking about potentially there, Hank. Yeah, I'm I'm kinda on the fence, but I think I'm leaning a little bit towards the dump side. Like I said, we've got yeah, like you guys said, we've got gates. Money, we'll, money. Henry, I, sorry. Please, please commence, Henry. Can <laughs> yeah, no. To you. <laughs> no, I think I said what I was going to say. I think we've got Nick Gates. I don't think you necessarily need Spencer Pulley. That's I'm going to lean towards dump. Next. This one I think is an obvious one. Wayne Gallman. It's just hard because of Barkley and where you want to allocate your cap, but I'll say keep him. Keep because he could be a good setup back to like Bradshaw Jacobs did in a sense. I want to keep him, but I think they're going to dump him. The, uh, the backup running back position is very important, and I think this is a position that could easily be replaced in the draft or they could sign somebody for cheaper because, remember, we have priorities to take care of in the offseason. Backup running mm-hmm. back, they're, they're probably going to look at it. Um, I want them to bring Goldman back, Hank. I just don't know if they will. I'm on the, yeah. I'm not a hundred percent sure what they'll do, but I'm I'm on the side of keeping him. I want to see a Gallman Barkley duo next season. That could be pretty lethal. Agreed. Uh, Dion Lewis, dump, dump. He's horrible on special teams and as a running back. Dump, dump, dump. Yeah. Golden Tate. I think they're going to keep him. Think about it. What would have been the reason to keep him around this long? They had plenty of opportunity, and he added more fuel to that fire for them to dump him, and they didn't do it. I'm going with dump. He's just been a mess. He's probably frees up some calf space. Uh, Sterling Shepard's your slot guy. Until you draft somebody, you can't get rid of him. Uh, I think you got to dump him, but the problem is they're going to they're, – I. Unless something happens in free agency, they're keeping that man. I know the way this team operates. They're probably going to keep him. Yeah, I'm going to say personally, I I might dumb him, but yeah, at the very least, I think he's probably going to stay, maybe for about a certain amount of time. But personally, yeah, I'm leaning towards dump. All right, this is the big one, Leonard Williams. I think I know where this is going. James. You keeping him? 
you let him go, and that'll be a stupider move than when I thought that it was a stupid move to trade for him. Um, yeah, you got to keep him. Oh, are you kidding? He, he's been awful this year. I'm totally done. Oh, yeah, worst player on the team. Oh, yeah, yeah terrible. Worst yeah, angle. Bro, I can't even say that with a straight face. I'm obviously <laughs> keeping him. All right, Hank. Next one, Dalvin Tomlinson. This is kind of a big one. You got to keep him. I think he's the glue guy on that defensive front that doesn't get enough credit. You keep him from what it seems like Williams and Tomlinson work well together. Keep on a franchise tag only. Yeah, definitely agree. Yeah, I think I'm definitely for keeping him. I don't know 100% sure if they are, but personally, yeah, bring him back another year. Um, Kyler Fackrell. Keep. Dump. I think you've had a lot of linebackers on this team come in his place and prove that they could play for this team at a high level. Um, cheaper too. I want to keep him, but I I think they're going to dump him because you have Carter Coughlin, you have Cam Brown, you have Zimenez and um, Carter coming back from injury. So I think they're going to dump him, but I think the smart move would be to keep him because you can get him for cheaper. I'd prefer him staying personally, so I'm going to say keep. Yeah. All right, we got three more, Hank. David Mayo. Again, it becomes tough because they have so many linebackers that are coming back that are probably better, so dump them. Save up more money. Dump. I'm going keep because Mayo's contract doesn't expire till 2023. There's rumors that you cut him, you free up money, but he's a Gettleman guy. I don't think they're dumping him. Personally, I might. I wouldn't be surprised if they kept him, but personally, I'm kind of on the dump side. Nate Ebner. Oof. Older guy, vet. Experience with Joe Judge. Keep him around if you could bring him back for cheap. So keep him. Keep. Keep. Yeah, keep. And the last but not least, we have Casey Kreider. I haven't even heard his name this season, so dump. With Russo, you got to dump him. Uh, you're keeping that man. He's our starting long snapper, guys. But um, I was just about to say, if you haven't heard his name all season, that's a good thing. You don't want to hear a long snapper's name. That's Ask Trey Junkin. Ask Trey oh, yeah. yeah, keep him. All right, folks, that'll wrap up our keep him and dump him segment. All right, Kyle and James, is there anything you guys would like to add before we let you go tonight? This was an excellent segment. Really enjoyed having both of you on the show. No, I enjoyed being on. Happy that, you know, if there was a time for us to come on the show, that it was at the end of the season so we could review the team as a whole from a broader perspective. But uh, thanks for having us on. Really do appreciate it. Yeah, no, that was a lot of fun. I'm glad we finally got to have the whole review and preview squad on. I personally had a lot of fun. And, um, yeah, as I said, since the show pretty much started, I think we finally come full circle having you guys. So thanks a lot. Absolutely. And I had a lot of fun doing this. Yeah, no, thank you guys. Appreciate it. Um, I'm looking forward to what we got this off season. I know you guys do. Hopefully we can uh, do some more shows like this. Yep. Um, but I love what you guys do each week. So keep it up. 
John, if you're talking about Dion Lewis, we already all said dump. Uh, if you're referring to Ryan Lewis, we didn't discuss him. Um, I think I we're think dumping him. It, it depends. It depends what type of deal he's on because uh, he he was he was better than Yadam, but I mean. That's that's an, another guy too, but we'll we'll talk about the off season as we get there. But thank you for the comment, John. Really do appreciate it. All right, James, Kyle, thank you so much, and uh, I'll see you both back on Review and Preview Tuesday night. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Take it easy, guys. Have a good one. Anytime. Thanks. All right, so that was James and Kyle, and last couple comments, Hank. Before we wrap it up tonight, mm-hmm. uh, several players have been re-signed to future deals, including. Guys like Trent Harris, Alex Bachman, Alex Tanny still sticking around, and Chad Slade. So definitely great to see uh, those guys, Madre Harper and Jackson Barton as well. Uh, we did cut Devontae Freeman today, injury uh, designation to return. He never did. And then we re-signed our defensive coordinator, Patrick Graham. I think from the minute that um, Wayne Gallman started emerging as a solid running back, I think you knew that was pretty much the end of Devontae Freeman. And – not to mention he was signed as a Band-Aid. So you knew he wasn't a long-term guy. Is there any, anything else you want to add tonight? And last but not least, the Patrick Graham. I think we pretty much established this before, but that's huge that, that we kept him. And even though I'm not 100% board, on board with all the coaching staff being back, I think it's great that you're keeping pretty much most of the same staff, with the exception of Brett Bielema. So – yeah, I had a lot of fun doing the show with you throughout the whole season. It's been great really getting to analyze the Giants on a weekly basis and really talking about their progress. And I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in the off season. And we've got a couple shows coming up the next few weeks. So looking forward, we obviously have to recap the season for sure. But then afterwards, I think we're going to talk about free agents. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. And don't get me wrong, as much as I'm really excited for my Rangers start in exactly one week from today, I'm also really, really anxious to see what the Giants will do this offseason. But as always, Tom, I want to thank you again for having me on the show. I've had a lot of fun with you, and just thanks for like having me on Review Preview as a whole. I really appreciate it, man. Absolutely. You've been great through the whole regular season, doing a lot of the production work for us, the script making sure we get all the videos together, getting all the graphics set up the last few weeks. You've been excellent, Hank, and a great uh, side co-host for me to kind of put this show together. Without you, the show doesn't happen. So thank you so much. And folks, remember, uh, subscribe to our podcast platform on our ticker below, scrolling across the screen. Subscribe to our Facebook page, our, our Instagram, and then on the anchor as well, trying to see how that works out with my finger there. But yeah, and then subscribe to our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports. If you like what you hear, make sure to go check us out. Uh, Hank, we'll be back next week with a season recap. We'll recap the full season, and then the following week uh, or the week later, we will go into some potential free agent moves the Giants might make. So, Hank, uh, I'll see you next week. And, folks, thank you all very much for watching. You've been tuning in to Big Blue Avenue here on Facebook Live at Review and Preview Sports. Have a good night.